0: Welcome to the Homegrown Podcast, the place where we share the truth about food and farming from our kitchen to yours. I'm your host, Liz Hazelmeyer, along with my husband, Joey. Good afternoon. And together, we hope to inspire, educate, and equip you in your pursuit of true nourishment. And today, we're sitting down with two awesome guests. I'm super excited to have this conversation with Sarah and Ashley Armstrong. They are the sisters behind Strong Sisters on Instagram, and they're also first-generation farmers behind Angel Acres. And... Uh, Really excited to dive into this. Ashley and Sarah, welcome. Thank you for being here with us today. Thank you guys so much for having us on this channel. Really excited about the conversation
1: because it seems like so many of our interests align. And it's
0: fun to chat with people, like-minded people. I agree. I have been following you guys on Instagram for a while now. Um, and then all of a sudden I realized, wait, they also have angel acres. Wait, they have this wedding barn thing they're doing. I'm like, man, they've got their hands in all these different areas and I love them all and I'm pumped. Anytime you guys post something about, um, animal products and ethical sourcing and regenerative farming, I'm just like cheering and clapping in the background. So you have a fan in me for sure. And I am excited to, uh, chat. More about you know how you guys came to these conclusions and why you guys are so passionate about this stuff. So I'm, I'm excited.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm excited because I believe you know talking with you guys today and kind of seeing your journey, um, not only just for me. You know, and I said this you know kind of before we hopped on, but. Uh, for a lot of people out there, I feel like there's a lot we can learn from you and what you guys have done and how you've gotten to where you are today. Not only just, you know, how you're staying in shape, getting after it in the, in the weight room. Uh, but also, you know, how you, how you were able to take risks and plunge into new things like being on a farm. And so, um, I'm not currently on a farm. I think someday I might like that, but I'll tell you right now that it is very scary to even consider it. So, yeah. um, Sarah and Ashley, super pumped about this. And, um, Let's let's just let's just start from the very beginning. And why don't you guys tell us, you know, your sisters? You know, where'd you uh, where'd you grow up?
3: You want to start? Sure. So we are actually from the south side of Chicago. So we are now located in Southwest Michigan. So we didn't move that far from you know we're still in the Midwest like you guys. But we grew up in a small town um, about 30 minutes south of Chicago, and we had a very I mean, it's hard to say what's typical these days because like, (laughs) I mean, what, like what's the state of our society, honestly, (laughs) but I would say for back in the nineties, we had a typical nineties childhood. So our mom actually owned her own, she owns her own restaurant and brewery, but I bring this up because, you know, a lot of our childhood was actually spent eating at her restaurant. Mm. So, I mean, food is so central to like who we are and, you know, our health and all that stuff. So... At a young age, we didn't really learn how to prepare food. Like, I see your, your kids in the kitchen with you, and I just think that's so incredible. But we did not actually have that experience. So finding ourselves in the kitchen and learning about nutrition was entirely personal journeys. And I think that that came wow. with a lot of mistakes. But ultimately, obviously, we're okay. It led us to where we are today. So I would say um, just being in our mom's restaurant, playing a lot of sports was a large part of our childhood And then I think once we started to really think about our own health, we definitely had that experience where there's a lot of external influences on how we see ourselves. And so, you know, wanting to look like, you know, the fitness model or all these different things definitely started to impact how we were eating, how much we were eating, what we were eating. And so, I mean, obviously developed some sort of eating disorder or body dysmorphia or body image issues, which then kind of spiraled into this long, long, long health journey of coming away from that and really trying to find, you know, a safe, happy, healthy body. And so that's like a really broad overview because there's a lot of different health journeys that came in the midst of all that. But if you want to add to any of that, yeah, I'll just add a few
1: more things. So like she said, we're really into sports. And so my health journey, like I have a vivid memory of like the first day where I really started to take my health seriously. And the fact that I'm saying this because I was 14 at that age, and I think that that's just like way too young to have these type of influences. But um, I started going to like a sports performance place at age 14 Mm -hmm. because I was super interested in, like I wanted to play soccer in college. Um, And so I started going to this training place and ever since that day, that experience kind of created this orthorexia mindset where I then became absolutely obsessed with being healthy. And it kind of took over my life. And that was a problem because that's like your crucial adolescent development years. Mm. And um, it definitely led to like over-exercising and being fixated on what I thought was healthy at the time. And like she said, we didn't have like as much education on healthy food and real food when we were younger. And so I kind of had to listen to what was available at that time. And I'm sure since you guys are similar age to myself at that time, it was everything low fat, right? Like broccoli, chicken breast, (laughs) only eat whole wheat, whole wheat pasta, (laughs) white pasta. No white bread. No whole wheat bread is an okay. Um, so Mm -hmm. Ever like I wasn't consuming good, healthy animal fats at a crucial time. And then I was also consuming a bunch of like hard to digest carbs. And so my diet obviously wasn't ideal. So that just led to a whole host of problems because I was at such a crucial development age and I actually only had one normal period at age 16 and then it never came back um, because I then uh, played golf in college and I kind of, like Sarah said, definitely developed a restrictive mindset. I never had like bulimia or anorexia, but I was orthorexic to a T. Like mm-hmm. wouldn't eat anything that I thought was unhealthy. And obviously that un, that definition was wrong at the time. Um, and it took a long time to dig out of that hole. Like I just, I really wish, I, I want to help young girls not like go through that experience because it took so long for me to get out of that stress hole.
3: You're still getting out of it.
1: Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Who isn't right. Um, Um, and so I did get my period back like at age 29. Um, (laughs) and so it just took
3: a lot of work and yeah, yeah. I think what's so, you know, ironic though, is she said that she was so focused on being healthy, but she lost her period. And so it what we posted in our story is like that period cereal that's coming out to so like you know start the conversation around periods. But I think that's good and bad because she didn't know, and I didn't know, and I don't think most people know that like having a healthy, regular menstrual cycle is so foundational to your health mm-hmm. and what that says about how your body's functioning. So basically, we had just the complete you know, wrong metrics that we were tracking. I think like when she's talking about being fixated in health, it's more so like, how lean am I? You know, like those are the things that we're taught are the foundations of health when as we all know now there's there's so many different things that go into it. So and we were talking about this before
1: we started recording, but we've been into like working out and strength training for a long time. Mm -hmm. And when we started was when Instagram was starting. Mm -hmm. and we were exposed to all of these like fitness bikini models whereas like before the world of social media like those type of things weren't really like talked about much and so that definitely like she said skewed our mindset as to what was healthy and so i just for so much of my life i seeked having a six-pack
3: were you guys on instagram in 2014
0: 2011 2011 i wasn't 2011 I would have been in I got
2: college. one 4 months ago.
0: Ah, Joey's brand new. Today. So I'm like <laughs> I am
2: I am just learning the game.
0: 4 months ago. I would have been on Instagram. Truthfully, I didn't know what Instagram was when I got on. I thought it was just like a way to edit my photos, so I would post like four of the same picture. So I was like, oh these photos are cute. I think I've deleted a lot of those since then. But like uh, no, I I was on personally probably, but I wasn't following. But I love this this moment in time that you're capturing because I was just talking to someone yesterday and I was saying because she was saying, hey, I'm a therapist now. And a lot of women in their 20s or 30s are coming to me trying to heal their relationship with food. And I don't know if you guys listen to this week's podcast of the Homegrown podcast, but I sort of share my story with um, an eating disorder and sort of how I view food food now. But I told her as I'm chatting with this woman through DMs, I'm like, I think that we as 90s babies, as like maybe late 80s, early 90s babies are in this unique sector because we are far enough removed from the generations that were close to their food, at least had a farmer in the family. And then so we have enough gap there. And then we also have the age of Internet And then, like, for whatever reason, in the early 2000s, like, thin and zero boobs was, like, the hot thing, right? So we, like, Mm -hmm. have all of these picturesque ideas of women's body shapes that are not even biologically accurate. And then on top of that, we're told to look at our fat and our, um, like, body weight as a metric for health versus, like, what you're saying is the hormonal or, um, like, metabolic... Parts of our body that would be telling us, "Hey, something's off. Hey, I should probably be having a regular cycle as a teenager. This is not okay." And um, yeah, I have to shout out. Um, at, do you guys follow at um, Body Basics Talk Body? Ba- I'm am messing up her thing. I'll I'll link it in the show notes. Okay, she's created a course for um, mothers and daughters to go through to talks about this stuff. And th- I'm like pumped about that. I'm like, this is oh. how we, this is how we progress the next generation. Right. Cause we teach them these things. So at body talk basics, I'm pretty sure is what it is. I'll link it in the show notes, but cool. all
3: They're of this. Incredible. Yeah. So
0: that's awesome. Yeah.
2: Let's, let's, uh um, let's, <laughs> let's jump back into this here. The, you grew up in, in Chicago um, mm-hmm. and was it in the suburbs?
3: Yes. South suburbs. South so, suburbs
2: of Chicago, and then and then I want to hear more about this restaurant um, as yeah. a, as a foodie, someone that was in restaurant life himself. Um, what what kind of food was served there? What was your involvement like? Tell me all about the restaurant.
3: Yeah, so it's my mom's baby. It's actually the same age as me, so she's had it for twenty five years.
0: Wow, she still um, has it. 26,
3: 26, 26 now. years now. And um, I actually think that that's an interesting thing to consider because she was like pregnant with me while she's building this business and mm. you know when you think about the role of a mom and like the stress that goes into like the mom and then having the child like I can just imagine that that was really hard for her you know mm-hmm. so um and we've talked about this with Morley Robbins but like the mineral status of the mom and then how that goes into the child and so I've always considered these things because I'm you know quote unquote a little bit of a weaker Specimen than my sister, and possibly. <laughs> so I'm like, why? And I'm like, possibly it's because of that. But anyway, she's awesome. She started this. Um, it's a restaurant and brewery, and so it's more mostly like American type okay. of food. And she brews her own beer. So there, she was in a micro brew pubbing micro beer before it was cool. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Does she cold.
2: does she sell it at all? Is it canned? Is it only she in growlers?
3: Does, she does now can. Um, so the restaurant's called Flossmer Station Restaurant and Brewery. And so this is very significant to our own journey because she is our role model for entrepreneurship. Mm. And mm. so even if we are obviously doing two completely different things, it's still like the foundation of why we are so confident in putting together our own business. So she is our mm. definitely our greatest role model. Um, I definitely love just what you said about the person who's creating that course for mother and daughter though, because I just know I can look back at my own childhood and recognize so many moments where things that she has said or done have paid such a huge impact on the way that I eat or see my body and all these different things. So I just think that's so crucial to have these conversations. So in our own childhood though, we didn't really have those conversations Mm -hmm. and that's at no fault to my mom. It's just, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, typically what's done these days and so we didn't get to learn about food food sourcing farms any of that stuff we kind of just assumed that like the food at the restaurant like that's the food that's where the food came from was grown at the grocery store right and then at the restaurant (laughs) (laughs) and so i mean that probably like shaped kind of our awareness and the lack of awareness i'd say yeah and it's
1: like like liz said we are a generation where we're just far removed from Mm -hmm. farming and agriculture and we're at that unique time point after the green revolution where a lot of like family farms have gone away Um, and I think that that's a main reason why we were so confused along our health journey because if we would have grown up in the current environment that we're at right now the answer would have been kind of obvious right um, and so I think that that's, as we, like you said in our email, as we dive into the meat of this discussion, mm-hmm. I think that that's a super important thing that so many people are just out of touch with nature and farming. Absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. I always say the closer you are to the source of your food, the less dietary confusion you'll have. Like mm-hmm. I want people to step on Joel Salatin's farm at Polyface and be like, this is how food production works. This is how you raise mm-hmm you know, animals and also like build soil health, not inside of the indoor massive hydroponic. <laughs> not that I feel like I rip on hydroponics a lot. I, it can be useful, but the point is it's, it's the disconnection, the gap in knowledge that then leads to that confusion. And then the diet, what you eat is so important. And it's like, we tow this weird line between not making it everything. Like we don't want to turn eating healthy or eating a certain way into an obsession but it's the foundation of our life. And if our life is to go and do big things and make impact and positively influence people, gosh, we have to be fueled for that. And unfortunately, I had a similar uh, similar childhood as you all where I absolutely wasn't fueled for that. And that led me down a path of, you know, disordered eating. But redemption is a beautiful thing. So. It is. <laughs> it is. Okay, yeah. so I want to know what kind of sports you guys played. Because I... <laughs> To play sports, so please tell me what that's like. What what sports were you guys What's interested in? Like, <laughs> so I like as a
1: young child, I did everything, um, and mm-hmm. then I recognized that I wanted to play in college, and so then heading into high school, I put it down to just soccer and golf, and then heading into like freshman year of high school, I had to make the decision which one I wanted to do, mm-hmm. and I ultimately decided to go a very, with, big de- very big decision. Very big decision. I went with golf, and so. I played just golf in high school and then I played golf, um, in undergrad at Notre Dame. Um, and so golf was a huge part of my life, huge part of my life. And I think I played competitively for like 12 years. Wow. wow.
0: I, is it just me or is golf and soccer kind of the opposites of each other? Right. Oh, like for soccer's high pace. Cause Joey played soccer in college. Yeah. That's my only exposure to the sport. I, <laughs> 100%. I, I'm yeah.
2: very bad at golf.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's so interesting that you that you did two sports that are, like, very opposite in nature. I'm fascinated by that. Okay, so you play – continue on. I'm sorry I cut you off. So – and then along that, I,
1: like, worked out a lot because I saw the value in – that was one thing that I did right. I saw the value in building muscle um, along the journey. But
3: <laughs> Yeah, but you have to be fueled to build muscle. <laughs> so <laughs> – I think I also... I was very similar. Like, I was forced to do all these things. Um, And then I eventually was just like, I'm quitting. And I just started focusing on, like, the bodybuilding gym side of things. And that eventually led us to powerlifting, which I actually think powerlifting is great for females. That was, like, the first thing that made me recognize you need to eat more and put on muscle and get stronger as opposed to, like, shrink yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So she also was training for powerlifting while she was golfing. And... That eventually became our main focus: is just getting stronger. It was very empowering as being a very small female to lift a lot of weight in the gym. So that was awesome for us. I think. Were you, go-
0: were you going to a gym at this point, or working out at home? Like, what did that look? like? I started at home
3: because that was like. What you start with? The myths of my you eating with? disorder. I started with P ninety X.
0: I did P ninety X. Girl, too. you get it.
3: Yes, I did it. So in my hard. It really is. It's, it's so really hard. hard. It's like, you're constantly moving.
0: You're constantly moving.
2: I remember P9DX. There, there was a there was a point in time where it was either you did it or you didn't work out.
0: Yeah. Exactly. I bought it because it was so expensive back then. I bought it. I think I split the cost with my brother and he would like get it. And I would, I would always be on like the beginner one because I'm like, it's just too
3: hard. <laughs> it really it's is. No, and that can, that's, that can be hard because as a child comparatively i was like the chubby child so she would be doing all these crunches and i would be like struggling on exercise ball with one <laughs> and that really made me feel bad about myself so i had to like isolate myself and do it i had to find my own journey right mm-hmm. your kids probably have a similar like you just have to do it yourself yeah you have to find your own you know path and so anyway we got really into powerlifting in the gym and that was that's our most recent experience with quote unquote sports more. So just being active mm-hmm. and that is our greatest passion. I was not our greatest passion. One of our passions is just putting on muscle, remaining met- metabolically healthy, which you know requires having muscle. Well, I think she touched on it briefly, but like strength training
1: was very important in the development of our confidence. Um, mm-hmm. Coming from like a disordered background eating, like you kind of fixate on like the wrong things. And so I think, showing up in the gym and like deadlifting three times your body weight or like throwing down squats. And that alone was very empowering. And that like just transcended to ever other parts of our life. Mm -hmm. It was just a very important part of our journey. And that's why we still strength train today.
0: Yeah. So I'm curious, the term powerlifting, does that just, can you, what does that mean? Yes. So
3: powerlifting. So there's just general like lifting weights in the gym, you're just hitting all the muscles. Then there's powerlifting, which is a focus on squat bench and deadlift so you're literally I guess trying to just increase your the amount lifted in those three lifts and then when you go and compete you literally are just trying to lift the most amount of weight possible for one rep. so okay. what's that sounds kind of insane but what's pretty cool about it is that it's literally just you versus you because when you're in a competition like sure you can win however, you're really just comparing yourself to your previous best. Mm -hmm. So it has a really good focus in that way. Whereas other fitness things like bodybuilding, for example, is like comparing your body to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Whereas this is a much better thing to measure in my, in my opinion. And then powerlifting versus bodybuilding,
1: which bodybuilding, you don't necessarily have to lift a ton of weight. It's kind of more like effective reps and being able to isolate different muscle groups. And so we like to kind of do a combination of both, power building so using the main lifts as a way to increase muscle
0: is that basically what we do when we work out it's
2: pretty similar yeah it's, it's pretty similar. They're, they're, i guarantee you, they're much better at it than we are but okay. that oh. that, uh, that sounds we'll pretty, get into it it does sound pretty similar <laughs> the uh um uh, this is this is so great you guys make this very easy the the, the next question i guess that i would ask is so so um, and and I'm, I'm stuck on kind of my, my timeline here. So I apologize that I keep kind of like zooming back in and out. But um, ba- back to that, those early years, right? Your mom is is, is getting after it with a restaurant, which is not a small task um, at all. And um, qu- quickly, do you have any other siblings, um, any other family involved at this time? Is it just you two and your mom that, that, are, that are living together? Is your mom uh, a dad with you guys?
1: Yeah, no, um, our dad. Was in the house too. Um, Always. Yeah. He also Also had his own business. So our family was running like a number of different businesses all throughout our life. And so we kind of exposed to entrepreneurship from day one. Um, But as a note, like our mom was 41 when she had me and 45 when she had Sarah. Mm -hmm. And so uh, she brought this up like Morley Robbins, like your mineral levels are like gradually declining and you pass that mineral load onto your child. And so Sarah was kind of set up for the, not failure, but like hey. <laughs> it, like having a child at 45, like how did my mom even do that? I don't,
3: I don't know. Yeah. And um, she had a few, she had a miscarriage before in between me. And yeah. so, I mean, that actually brings up a great point though, because while they were both very present in our lives, we, it was just in, in a, in a different way than what I now, older, living on a farm, see parenthood and the roles and like what one should be learning Mm. and again like this is no fault to my parents but like we didn't learn anything about food Mm -mm. preparation nourishing yourself how much to eat you know any of those things and so they accomplish so many things but it's I think it's so hard I imagine it's so hard for you guys too, being entrepreneurs and still having this how can I best influence my children so I admire Mm. what you guys are doing so much
2: did you guys have family dinners?
3: Matt, I mean, oh gosh, we did. Okay, so we bring this up. <laughs> Which one? Uh, so I mean, we would eat
1: like we would eat restaurant food, like from my mom's restaurant, probably okay. like five nights of the week. We had takeout no family kidding. dinners. So, what
2: age are you at this point? So you're eating you're eating family dinners and okay. or meals from the all through you,
3: high school, like all through high oh, school. No, so okay, yeah, so like elementary school, grade school. And then once we started getting into high school, that was when Ashley and I were like, we had our eating disorders. So we started cooking our own food because that's how it goes. And mm. prior to that, though, yeah, it was a lot of takeout, family dinners, and or eating at my mom's restaurant.
2: Okay, did you sit she down literally?
3: She would cook on occasion. In, occasion, and like she said, this is no fault to our mom. She
1: was no. just very busy. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. and
3: Totally.
1: So she did what she could, mm-hmm. and. I don't know if you guys feel this way, but when I think back to the food that I ate growing up, it makes me cringe.
0: No, All of we're... the like,
1: fortified iron, yeah. vegetable oils, improperly prepared grains. Like, it literally makes me cringe inside. And uh, that was the norm.
2: I think, I think uh, Elizabeth, when her and I were talking <laughs> recently about her growing up, um, it was, Joey it was, was shocked it was very shocking to me as well to hear that he's
0: like that's what you would eat instant rice and Hot Pockets and it's funny <laughs> I feel that I feel the same way you guys feel because I have a great relationship with my parents now but when I have to like share what it was like growing up and I, I had a great childhood but like our food was garbage and I'm always like I love my parents so much they, they didn't our parents didn't Weren't out of the norm Just like we were in a weird phase of growing up Our parents were in this weird phase of parenting Where it was like food wasn't even a part of the conversation So it's like we were all stuck in this weird time where it was just normal to consume convenience foods and not ask questions because we hadn't really faced this whole big, like, genetically modified foods were just now on the market. Yeah. We mm-hmm. didn't have the same landscape that we're facing today. So, I, every time you guys were like, we love our mom and she did this, I have that every episode pretty much because I always talk about my parents and they listen <laughs> yeah. to the podcast and they're just like, oh, buckle up. They know I love them. It's time yeah. to flame they yeah, know I'm, dad again. They know I'm yeah. thankful and we have a great relationship. So, so was your mom a, a chef in the restaurant or she just owned the restaurant? Because I'm curious what her cooking style was like. She just owns the restaurant. Okay. And so okay. she had a chef.
3: And so she's from Texas. So I just recall like baked beans, Texas toast. And uh, what's that shake? Like that chicken shake and bake. Shake and bake. Oh, that yeah. Bake.
2: I remember <laughs> that. that. The thing. You'd throw the chicken in the bag with the cornmeal or whatever it was. Shake it up. That was like... <laughs> I mean, you were getting it if you knew how to shake and bake.
0: <laughs> Joey went to culinary school, so he oh, is good. very familiar with the restaurant world. Yeah. He's, he's not shy with the vegetable oils in his old in his days. Yeah, he, that's yeah. what they would use. Well, that's, so yeah. yeah,
2: professionally trained, right? And canola oil was was a high temp cooking fat, and that was something that we would lean into as much as possible because of how convenient it was. I,
0: uh, I often ask Joey, I'm like, can I go back to your school and just teach a lesson on cooking fats? Can I just go do that? I don't have any credentials, but like, yeah. I'm just a parent. Who cares? Can I go do that? And I, he's like, maybe we'll talk to my old chef. I don't I, know. Yeah, I, We're going to make it happen someday.
2: Hopefully. Yes. Um, so anyways, um, so, so you'd be sitting down having family meals and they were oftentimes take out, which is, I mean, no shame. I mean, geez, look, look how far you've come, but you're, you're sitting down having family meals uh, did you have a favorite? Was there something like, you know, that you remember that this was coming home and you were like,
3: yes. Yes. Um, there was this Chinese takeout with those like fried noodles and rumaki, which is actually bacon wrapped liver. So I didn't even, I don't, I think I took out the liver, however. <laughs> and of course. The bacon wrap. Um,
2: <laughs> you were so close.
3: So close. And we went to this Italian restaurant, too, we, which was just, like, a large amount of um, pasta, so that's not the worst. But we also did convenience food on the go, and so we would do, I personally remember a lot of Arby's or foot-long foot Subway. I, I was a child. Like, eight years old. Eight years old. A foot-long Subway <laughs> meatball sandwich with a side yes. of combos and a Gatorade.
2: Yes. yes. Favorite.
3: What was yes. yours? <laughs> So, when I went to Subway, I thought I was taking
1: the healthy route and would order the chicken teriyaki from chips (laughs) side of water because I didn't want the. I wasn't
0: there yet. You guys, I worked at Subway for four years. Subway was my jam. I've consumed so much Subway in my lifetime. Yes, yes. Uh, I used to. I used to make a beautiful sandwich. People would comment, "Wow, that's a really good looking sandwich." I'm just proud of it. But I worked there. I chose to work there because I was like, "Oh, this is the healthiest fast food restaurant possible."
2: Now, you guys, you guys mentioned any other favorite meals before we? Any other favorite meals?
3: Ah. I think those are the most notable. Yeah. Most notable. Mm-hmm.
2: And so you mentioned going into high school that there was a transition. You started cooking for yourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, regardless of the, the motivation there, what did, what did that food look like? Where were you gleaning your information from? Or like, where were you getting educated to make the said cooking decisions?
1: So I didn't, I, we're like about three and a half, four years apart. And so okay. I started cooking as I was leaving high school, heading into college. Understood. And she, as she was heading
3: into high school, um, honestly, I, I, I remember. Where, yeah, go ahead. I got a lot of mine from, like, bodybuilding.com. Okay. So that was, like, the typical, like, you know, just protein, oatmeal, yogurt. Chicken breast. Chicken breast. Broccoli. And salmon and broccoli. And so I, th- I just remember that. Um, I have a very vivid memory
1: of traveling for a golf tournament. Mm. A lot of our childhood was spent traveling for my golf tournaments. Bless her. Okay. Um, and she took broccoli and chicken breast on the plane. And the whole plane smelled like cooked broccoli. <laughs> and that is just something you should never do to anyone else.
2: <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is hilarious. Um,
1: but, yeah, definitely, like, bodybuilding uh, influenced. Um uh, yes. Started getting into protein powders and... Stuff yeah like that. which
3: like it could have been worse i feel like that wasn't that bad i feel like our we we like took a step backwards when we got more into the if it fits your macros mindset do you guys know mm. what that is if i'm i-i-f-y-m I you don't no. okay it's okay. oh Ooh. so it's like this idea and there's there is some reason to it but it's this idea that If it fits your macros, like go for it. And so basically you have the most important thing is your macronutrients. So that's going to control your total caloric intake for the day. So the amount of carbs, fat, and protein you're consuming. And you're using these macros to hit some sort of like physique goal normally, right? So the IFM mindset is it doesn't matter what you fit into those macros. You just have to fit the macros. So it's taking somebody who might have been so fixated on clean eating, and then it's saying you can go ahead and, like, fit a Pop-Tart into your day, right? Mm -hmm. And so, in one way, it's good. It's kind of helping somebody realize, oh, I don't have to be so fixated on just my broccoli and my chicken. But on the other end, it's kind of getting away from the whole – like the whole point is let's not even restrict ourselves in the first place. Let's just eat better food and prepare it better. It's just kind of getting somebody to be like, Oh, I'm going to fit all these cereals into my day. So we Mm -hmm. took it to the extreme and we fit like all these cereals into our day, all these pop Okay. We just
1: got to give some examples. So (laughs) at Walmart, they sold like angel food cake and it had great macros. It was very macro friendly. Um, And so we would have angel food cake and it's like garbage ingredients, right? Um, On top of Arctic zero.
3: Arctic Zero because that was very macro friendly with puffed rice cereal on top, and then like a side, like a side of an entire half loaf of Walmart Italian bread with I don't even know what else. Like it was just it fit our macros though, you guys. So that, that was that was part of our journey because, like she said, yeah. it kind
1: of freed us from this like extreme restriction. We were still able to like reach our physique and powerlifting goals. But then we got into this idea, like this crazy Oreo Pop-Tart, including those in our day. um, Yeah. And that was a weird time
0: yeah it reminds me of sort of the philosophy when i was in treatment for my eating disorder they just wanted us to basically essentially do that fit your macros but that's not the language they used and so like we would have to face our fear foods right which was usually like carbs or cookies or something like that mm-hmm. but so we'd have to like bake them in this little, like little test kitchen and then practice eating the cookie whatever but it was more of a push of like hey you can eat these things and you you will be okay you're not going to die um and as long as we fit within this amount of carb and this amount of protein, and this amount of fat, then you're good to go. But I wish they just – it's almost like a way to um, introduce someone into food freedom without going overboard. But to me, it misses the mark of real food. It misses the yeah. mark of, hey, let's talk about – is this stuff even food or is this just a product of uh, a factory? So. Yeah totally with you i I can see how it serves a good purpose and that's very much sort of like how i was trained to eat Mm non-disordered like just eat what you should be comfortable eating whatever all the time as long as it's within these things right so i Mm -hmm. I understand that
3: yeah i i I, so i did have to go through like that eating disorder thing too with the therapist where they're like face these fears this week Mm -hmm. and i kind of it didn't work for me because i i wasn't at the place to like listen at that time in my life but i think even now i think there's like a very fine line you can walk with orthorexia where it's like what you were saying this isn't food at a certain point. So it's not that I'm Because aff- I understand how you know the body works, physiology, calories, all these different things. I'm not afraid to eat it. I simply don't want to eat it anymore. Yeah. So I think once we hit that point in our journey, there was like a switch for the better. Because it moves past this fixation on, I'm afraid to eat this food because I'm going to be fat. To
0: I honestly, like that's not food. Yeah, exactly. And for people who don't know, orthorexia is basically the fear of consuming the foods that you wouldn't deem healthy right is that is that sort of the definition if you guys kind work of, like off of all aspects of your
1: life you are constantly fixated on it being healthy and so mm-hmm. it kind of consumes your life
0: mm-hmm. yeah it's it's something that a lot of people i think especially raising daughters like it's something i don't want to breed in them Mm-hmm. So that, that's why having the food conversation is important because yeah, you don't want it to be all about food and then scare them to eat a bag of Doritos. But you also got to tell them like, Hey, the Doritos aren't real food. Uh, it's okay to eat them when you're at your friend's house at a sleepover. You know, it's, yeah. it's such a fine line and yeah. you're right. And it is that tension you have to hold because if you don't hold that tension, you will slip and, and you'll go one way or the other. Yeah. Very that's
2: fantastic. That's fantastic. So, so, um, going through, going through high school, getting out of high school, we're we're now um, getting into a place where we're getting our getting into our own cooking. Getting our we we call this point of market entry in in the business world, right? So you've entered into the category of, of consumer that is now shopping, right? You're finding your own foods. You're you're buying your own foods. Um, the you said that this this uh, I F F
0: if, if it fits true. your macro, um,
2: that was something that kind of helped you get out of restrictive. Dieting is that is that what you said?
0: Like a stepping stone, almost. Yeah, I feel like
3: it's honestly a stepping stone for a lot of people. But then I I also see because we have been in like the Instagram fitness world for a long time, I see a lot of people who go from clean eating to if it's your macros to having SIBO hormonal issues autoimmune autoimmune because they they went overboard on the processed foods. And so yeah. it's this trend a lot of people go through and then they have to kind of come out of it. And so that's where you see people going to veganism or going yep. to mm-hmm. this specific diet or whatever. And fortunately, we we eventually found the whole pro-metabolic idea of eating. Um, but I, I think it's very common to go... Through that, and hopefully, you know, these conversations can help people just bypass that.
0: <laughs> yeah, and this is why I, I always come back to nutrient dense versus nutrient lacking. If that's always mm-hmm. your food, not that everything we have to consume is like the most bang for your buck, but for the most part. And I love what you guys said on a on a YouTube video, um, like getting your energy from your carbs and your um, nutrients from your animal products. Mm-hmm. I love that breakdown. So simple. Hey, I don't have to fear eating this. Bowl of oatmeal or this fruit because it's a carb, I'm going to get energy from that. Mm-hmm. But I also know that I want to eat something like a s- small piece of liver every day, or mm. I want to, um, uh, gosh, e- you had a steak for lunch. Which, uh, by the way, he brought home a single steak and fried it in front of me and the three kids. <laughs> and I was just like, really? <laughs> I didn't get to eat that for lunch. So Oh man. So. I, I didn't do that. Sorry. sorry to throw you under the bus there, <laughs> oh but I had God. to call it out. I had to call it out. So uh yeah, that's why this that's why constantly coming back to this conversation around food is nutrient dense versus nutrient lacking. Yeah, it kinda sounds like big, ridiculous words, but you put the Doritos in the, in the nutrient lacking category, and then you have accurately identified them as such. And then you can say, Hey, I, I'm not getting anything beneficial from this right now. Um, I'm not going to have fear around it. I'm just going to recognize it like, Hey, that's not really a real food that wouldn't have existed hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about why, you know? Mm-hmm. So,
2: so in this stage of life, you're, you're, um, you're, you're watching your macros. You're, you're both lifting at this point. Um, um, are you playing guys both college, in college?
0: Golf? What's what, what were you all
3: both doing? Um, so she, yes, she was playing golf and oh, I was just, golf. Okay. I had quit golf in high school and was just navigating high school. So I ended up graduating early. I was mm-hmm. just like really isolated myself. I just lifted by myself. I did everything by myself. And so that was actually the point when I was like a senior in high school and she was in college. That was the point because we st- Ashley and I started to relate on these topics, we became close. Prior to that, we were not friends. We didn't talk anything. So because we now suddenly were both dealing with this very common issue of, like, what is my body? What is my health? Mm. Um, We resonated and connected over that. Yeah. And
1: so I was, like, a senior in undergrad, and she was a senior in high school. And then I decided to pursue graduate school and... She was going to undergrad, and we ended up going to the same place, and so then we moved in together.
0: Oh, cool. And so then we started... Is that where you guys went?
1: um, I went to undergrad Notre Dame, and then grad
3: school at University of Illinois. Okay. Cool. Yeah, so
0: we were in Central Illinois
3: for a long time, and that is actually where we were before we moved here to our farm in Michigan, and so that... And and then all of the <laughs> processed food, yeah. Um, and so improv- that was the if it fits your macro stage there, yeah. Okay, okay. So right on. That's where we're at. I'm a, I'm just starting college. She's just starting grad school.
0: And what it's are like, you guys degrees in at this point? What are you majoring in? I was in health sciences. Mm-hmm.
1: I was in oh wow! Mechanical engineering. Yes. mechanical engineering. Okay, cool. Um, and I don't use any of that today. <laughs> but <laughs> I just gonna say, what was um, your
0: what was your goal with mechanical engineering?
1: So um in undergrad I this was just another problem of its own, but like I just was like very obsessed with climbing like a ladder and being successful, whatever that Mm -hmm. meant, you know, like I wanted to be a CEO one day and like these silly aspirations and looking back, it's just that's just what society did to me. Um but so in undergrad near the end I I realized how much I loved research because I was volunteering at labs in undergrad. And so then I decided to go to graduate school and I wanted to be a professor and then throughout graduate school we led we had a number of health challenges and that's when I just like really realized that like the health space is where I'm meant to be and farming is at the center of that let's pursue it full-time and so after graduate school we decided to start the farm
0: wow Okay, and then as health, as a health science major, what did that look like?
3: Yeah, so that major encompasses, like, kinesiology, but it also encompasses sport management and stuff. So there was a point in time when I thought I wanted to do, like, strength and conditioning, but then there was also a point in time when I wanted to be the next Leslie Nope, off of Parks and Rec. Yeah. <laughs> I was confused. but I ended up going more of the Parks and Rec route, and so I did a lot of, like, kids programs at park districts, and I really wanted to develop programs for kids, so... That is something that I do hope to have on our farm one day is bring kids to the farm to
0: learn about farming and nutrition all these things. So mm-hmm. it's not that I volunteer I'm, my children.
3: Yeah, I, 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 I accept <laughs> your children.
0: <laughs> 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 can they just actually can they just live with you for like yeah. a week? I we'll love can. that. We'll yeah. ship Sophie up there. <laughs> okay, Sophia
3: <laughs> can come anytime. And yes. so it's not that it's going to go to waste. It's just going to be repurposed essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But I think she kind of brought up an important point is we started dealing with all these health issues and that's what led us to the farming. Mm. And so... All the stuff we did wrong finally caught up with us. yeah, Yeah, it really did. It really did. And so our health issues were more so autoimmune related, so developing autoimmune disease and associated symptoms. And kind of just wanting to not deal with those things. And that led us to this path of... Fasting, keto, carnivore, mm. and carnivore is actually—we are no longer carnivore, but carnivore is what introduced us to this idea of there are
0: farms. <laughs> <laughs> before, before, before carnivore, were you less in touch with where your food came from? Oh yeah. So we, like, along the lines of if it fits your macros, um,
1: we really did get like sucked into this like plant-based view and argument. And we were very much plant-based. We called ourselves vegan at a certain Mm. period of time, V E G G A N, because we were vegan with eggs. Mm -hmm. Um, so we still did a very good job getting our protein in. Like we, for like over 15 years, we've always hit at least one gram pound or one gram of protein per pound of body weight. So that was like not a problem, but we got really sucked into, again, just being confused on what real food is we got really sucked into the plant-based and like the idea of like plant superfoods and not understanding the concept of nutrient bioavailability Mm -hmm. instead just like oh look at how many nutrients this has it doesn't matter how you prepare it it's nutrient dense and so we just were like slamming slamming improperly prepared vegetables improperly Mm. prepared greens um and that combination, in addition to that period of time of processed foods, like all of that just led to huge gut problems, autoimmune symptoms. She definitely had more progressive symptoms than I did. Um, but yeah, it finally caught up to us.
3: Yeah. And you know, in this time too, I actually pursued integrative nutrition, but I think that so many of these programs are still so fixated on like plants Mm -hmm. and not you know, plants aren't bad, but they're just missing the animal component. And so when we actually started to... So keto was kind of our first step into that because obviously you're eating lower carbs. So you're you're kind of eating more meats. Potentially, there are vegan keto. But then she just... I don't know what happened, but you went to carnivore.
1: Yeah, we... I mean, of course, when you implement fasting relative to like a crappy... It, it wasn't necessarily horribly crappy, but like when you're consuming a diet that isn't working for your digestive system, when you don't know how to prepare food properly, and then you go implement fasting, of course, you're going to see symptom relief, right? Because your digestive system isn't on overdrive trying to mm-hmm. break down that raw cauliflower that you just consumed. And
0: <laughs> so we were
1: like, wow, this new world of this like is it. fasting, like this is the answer. And it was <sighs> symptom suppression. not actually fixing the root cause and so we went fasting and that easily led to keto and that easily led to carnivore and then again making the wrong decisions caught up with us and we started to deal with like thyroid issues and
3: metabolic issues um i would just like to note that in this entire journey we still didn't have our periods no
0: And and were were doctors ever concerned for you? Were they ever like, hey, girls, do you plan on having children someday? Like, were they talking to you about that? Or were they like, oh, it's fine?
1: I saw over five endocrinologists in my life, and they all gave the same answer. You went to the Mayo Clinic. I went to the Mayo Clinic, and they all gave the same answer. Here's some birth control. When it's time, 100%. When it's time to have kids, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Here's some birth control. Thankfully, I was very bad about taking my birth control. And so I was never consistently on it for long periods of time. Looking back, like that's that's one thing I did right is just not be good about taking it. But um, yeah, what a blessing.
0: Yeah. So that was the idea. Never, never talk about your lifestyle, or your food choices, or anything. Just let's take this pharmaceutical.
1: I remember one talking to me like you should probably gain fat. Okay. But no discussion on like what good food choices were for that. And no discussion about like not exercising because I think so much of mainstream advice is, I mean, plant-based focus. But then also exercise more, eat less. And I think that that's still very central. Like if you lose yes. weight, that's a good thing. But that's not automatically a good thing. And so there's mm-hmm. just a lot of missing components. And so again, I I was lost along the journey. Didn't know what real food was, what real nourishment was. And that led to all of these trials and experiments that didn't work that well. Yeah. Guess.
2: But they got you to where you are. And I, I, I so um, quick, quick uh, summary. N- never lived on a farm up until this point, right? Your parents never worked on a farm. Did your grandparents have a farm? I mean, okay. Any farm experience?
3: My mom actually, our entire childhood, she has, essentially a rescue hobby farm situation going on it's not for food production no it is it is essentially like a vegan's haven it's like she saves anything and everything and collects wait is
0: your mom vegan no she's
3: not but she collects animals (laughs) oh oh it's for animal okay 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 i got you
1: She's a lovely, chicken. lovely woman. So let's let's just talk about some of these <laughs> animals. So, like all size horses are welcome: miniature, medium size, large. Well, she size She has my
3: horse because I rode and then retired. So, donkey. I'm glad she kept her. Um, what peacocks? Pe- she had, Pe- she peacocks. had a peacock at one time. She has a steer that will never be killed for meat, so it's just grazing. Um,
1: P- <laughs> pigs. Are... I mean, at this point,
3: at this point, you probably don't want it, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, pigs, chickens. Um, she didn't start making eggs until after we left the house. Yeah. yeah like where did Ryan what were you doing with the eggs before um and so
3: we did get experience I hated it because like, I had to muck stalls all the time yeah
1: because it wasn't uh I, mother I love you <laughs> mother I love you so much if you're listening to this I love you so much but it was like not it was not farming right it was a hobby farm and she okay. that's what made her happy it didn't make us happy because I, I didn't want to scoop poop um, <laughs> and I was also like allergic to horses. <laughs> So oh it turned us away a little bit. Um, but again, like she said, it was not for food production. So it was very much like hobby focused
0: mother. I love you so much. Like, please don't take this the wrong she way. She still has this heart. Can we have the address of that? Far- no, I'm just kidding. Um, the, the, so, totally kidding. So minor,
2: minor um, exposure to um, outside and animals. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, uh, defining farming as I'm, Hearing you say um, could be defined differently. Yeah, is, the is,
0: connection wasn't made for you that this is also leads to food production. It, it almost probably further separated it for you because you were like, "Oh yeah, we've been around cows it, and stuff. More or less like We don't eat like those zoo. things." Yeah, yeah. Was, she exactly. basically had a petting zoo, um, which she still is, does. Again, yeah, all, can't all wait to bring my to
2: kids. Sarah Ashley's mom. She <laughs> sound wait. Like a, a fine lady. The the the. Um, <laughs> I want to know the, the conversation that happened. I just you're living together at this point, and. Uh, or at least in college is this when right? this happened
0: when um, you decided to have your farm
2: and someone comes to someone and says hey maybe we just have a farm
1: I, I remember the exact day oh <laughs> tell us tell us all um, the details I was interviewing for postgraduate jobs and so I had just come back from like this professor retreat where kind of we learned about the steps necessary to like become a professor and like finish your application and then I was going to check out like another option, which was to go work at, in Ohio, um, Ooh. the air force research lab. Oh, no kidding. like at, like at right pot, like in Dayton, yeah. Ohio. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, we were, even... my mom, my sister and I drove, of course, you, of course they came with me. We drove to Dayton, <laughs> Ohio I'm sensing a theme. <laughs> and, um, I did like, did the interview, like learned all about the place. And then like, I, we drove back and I just was like not excited. There was no mm. excitement. Um, and for me, like that day was when I decided I was gonna finally pursue something that made me happy because so much of my life was spent trying to please others again, like external um like appearance and then also like pleasing my peers in doing making decisions and career decisions based on other people's perception of me yeah, and at that point, I was just like... I am burnt out. I don't want to continue down this path, and so I, the next week I told my advisors, "Hey, I'm going to start a farm. I'm going to finish my degree, but I'm going to start a
3: farm." Well, so prior to that, though, like, how did we decide that? And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think originally I had been learning about biodynamic farming in my mm-hmm. integrative nutrition, but that was more wow. so about you know vegetables. yeah But that. That like catapulted into just like, so it planted a seed, I guess. And then she, literally, and she was like, I'm doing the carnivore diet. I don't know who influenced that. Maybe I do. But because of that, we started to go visit all these different farms because we wanted to understand where our meat was coming from because it was that like vegan in us. That's like, yeah you know, I got to do this right. And we we were, we were plant-based keto. Yeah. And then made a huge switch. And this is so yeah, common, though. You carnivore. see this all the time because people are so nutrient deficient, and they—it's this one extreme to the next. And we, mm. we were, we did it. And so, anyway, fast forward an entire summer of visiting all these different farms. It was just the most incredible thing to go see these people who are so passionate about what they're doing, and their land is so beautiful. And I mean, you see, like. The green grass and the birds chirping and the bugs and the cows happy grazing. Their kids are connected and like running around playing outside. And like I'm like so tired. You know I'm like, <laughs> what is this? What's this life? <laughs> and and just seeing that, we really like, I think just the conversations over the course of these months, Ashley and I were just like, I that I have to create that for my kids. Yeah. I absolutely mm-hmm. have to. I cannot let my kids have my childhood and my teens and twenties trying to figure out, you know, how many calories I should eat at this meal. (laughs) Wow. So, yeah. (laughs)
1: It it was our first time, like, experiencing regenerative farming, and it literally knocked us on our feet the first day. Yeah. Um, We called it the Tour Day Local Farms, and we visited, like, over 30 farms that summer. That's Um, incredible. and And it all stemmed from like being plant-based and being like oh my god like I care about animal welfare I care about all these things how can I do carnivore in a moral way and that's how we ventured into regenerative farming um and of course regenerative farming is a lot more than just livestock there's the plant side too but that's how we got into it in visiting all these livestock farms and seeing how connected they were with nature and so many light bulbs went off Mm. um Mm -hmm. And like she said, that, that planted the seed.
3: Yeah. I've like always had this maternal thing about me. Like my mission is to be a mom. And so it just, for me, it, everything clicked at once. I was like, this is it. Mm -hmm. Like my kids have to know how to grow food and how food's grown and what it actually looks like to eat something that like is nourishing for you. Because I feel like if you were to know that from a young age, you could just skip over everything we've talked about Mm -hmm. basically
0: and just be where we are now. Yes. I agree. I'm, I'm like, I have chills right now. So I'm, can, I'm curious, did you guys ever visit a non-regenerative farm or walk on a property where you were like, this is not it?
1: Okay. This, this is, I think, a very important point. We grew up in Illinois. And if anyone's driven through Illinois, they will know it is fields oh yeah, and fields and fields of corn and soy crops in this orderly manner. Right, so every row is perfect. It's all the same crop, and I didn't realize it growing up, but that was in the back of my mind as to what farming was. Right? Yeah. Oh, that's just that's what that's what they do out there in the fields. Like, see, it's, it's, it's the old man on the green tractor, and it's this it's this orderly thing where everything looks perfect, um, and then you go to this regenerative farm and you see all this biodiversity. And so, like reflecting back, it's just you're exposed to farming in a way that doesn't work with nature i think so many people are especially in the midwest
3: yep I agree. um so yeah i mean so we didn't we didn't actively seek out going to these farms because i think you can i mean you can watch we've seen those documentaries when we mm-hmm. were vegan i think my only really like real exposure is just like driving through montana or something and just seeing a feedlot it just looks different there's no grass you know it's that's that's the main thing we've seen, and so obviously we didn't we didn't want to be a part of that.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It it is funny because I even like when I'm reading books to my kids. Every depiction of a farmer, it's basically just monocrop agriculture, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, where's all the like <laughs> biodynamic, regenerative authors crea- or illustrators? Like, can we not? Mm-hmm. I'm like, do I need to write a children's book? Is that my next thing? Really, like. It is frustrating where it feels like every depiction in society of a farmer is that one way, this industrial version of farming, which, um, yeah, it's not all black and white. You can actually have an industrial farm, like we said before, we jumped on the call, and and it can be growing organic corn and soy. You know, at the end of the day, that's still a much different model than um, someone who is actively building soil health or actively... um, yeah, all, all, of, all of the pieces of regeneration, so.
1: I mean, okay, so I, I'm going to bring up kind of a touchy subject, um, and that is, like, policy, right? Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people don't like to talk about the role of government and policies, but what we're experiencing right now is a direct result of what's called the Green Revolution, implemented back in the, I don't know, 50s, 60s, 70s, mm-hmm. where we started using chemicals for agriculture. And it yep. was seen as like this huge win in society. Like, wow, look at how much food we can produce now. And so we've been, transi- ever since that day, we've been transitioning away from natural regenerative practices that many indigenous cultures practiced for eons. Um, we've been transitioning away from that because the current system rewards farmers for using chemicals, for doing monocrops. And so it's not to the fault of the farmer. The farmer is literally doing the best that he or she can given the current system, Mm. but the system is so screwed up and it's Mm -hmm. been developing for so many years now. And we saw it as progress and like advancement, but we just pushed dealing with the chemicals to the next generation, to the next generation. And it's just been going on and on. And as a result, it's impacted the livelihood of farmers and so many people now view farming as like this second class job. And that's because so many farmers are struggling, like because the current system sets them up for failure. Each year they have to use more and more chemicals. Those chemicals are very expensive. Those big companies know what they're doing. Like they have control over every seed that is grown for our food. And it's just... It's so unfortunate, but we are now seeing the consequences of the Green Revolution in our very eye. And so it's just, it's been a result of policy change. And I think we are now, because of social media, so this is one benefit of social media, is like people are waking up to, hey, this is actually not how it's supposed to be done. And we have to learn that through our like failures and health challenges and consequences because no one... No one's talked about. No one is told how farming is actually supposed to be done. We get a lot of crap from people around us because we are doing things very differently here mm-hmm. than what like the average person does. Because that's just that's that's what's been done, and that's the way to make money in this current system. You get crop subsidies by growing monocultures mm-hmm. by per- maximizing your yield. If you don't maximize your yield, you won't get paid for what you do. And so it's just it's a very deep problem and just like health challenges we just got to pull back the layers one by one
3: um i mean you said it was a similar situation in uh conventional animal agriculture too with the chickens what do you mean you were telling me you like the ones who produce the most amount of chickens oh yeah (laughs) like the the contracts
1: that these um like you drive by like big pork and chicken buildings and you like are like, oh my god, that's so disgusting. But like that farmer, that is his only or her only option because she signed a con, he or she signed a contract with Tyson, and there's this like weird lottery system where you get paid if you produce above a certain amount. And so it, when you when you learn about the way many farmers are paid right now, you you start to understand why certain things are being done the way they are. -hmm. And until we provide incentives and resources for farmers to help transition them out of it, they they will go bankrupt if they don't continue down these paths. And so that's just
3: I don't even know where I was going with this. uh, It's just not her justifying what's (laughs) happening. I think it's more so because we now have personal experience in the cost Mm. and how much you know, like how much you have to price your item or something to make any amount of money you can sympathize with those who are literally just trying to do their best so it's it's like it really is at this point of utilizing your social media our social media to educate people to understand this and start supporting farmers Mm -hmm. right
0: Yeah. yeah and I love that you bring that up because it's so um First of all, understanding the history of any topic gives you the contextual understanding you need to make real decisions about it. If people don't understand history, they don't peel back layers, or they don't look beyond 20 years in the past. They, they're just they're working off of misguided assumptions. And so I love what you're saying is like you, you got to understand a little bit of the policy here. Um, I actually brought it up before we started recording too. that documentary sustainable paints this beautiful picture of exactly what happened when we transitioned to mm-hmm. chemical farming, basically separating animals and plants and then basically telling all of these small farmers, hey, you are going to have enough off-farm jobs to make up for this um, new sort of centralization of the farming industry. So it's actually going to further our society forward. Well, that didn't happen. And a lot of families suffered in the, in the aftermath of that and continue to do that. And I have a real heart for people who are like, and I've talked to them on Instagram. Hey, um, I have a small farm. I have to grow GMO corn. It's going to make oil or ethanol or whatever. Uh, do I really care about that? And I'm like, You know, that's a really tricky line. I don't know. It's not like I don't, it's not like I don't utilize GMOs every day when I put gas in my car. Like Mm -hmm. there are pieces of our modern day society that are just built into that system that we can't, we can't live in this like, oh, it's all bad and it's all um, someone else's fault. No, it's, there's a huge system and infrastructure that we're all kind of like teetering on. Mm -hmm. And it's not the individual farmer's fault. Now I take issue when, people can't engage in discourse in a, in a way that's effective. And then that's when I kind of get, uh, spicy. Sometimes people say, um, because that's the piece that's important, right? We have to have those conversations. We have to meet somewhere in the middle. I actually think there's a ton of overlap between how me and Joey view our food and someone who is vegan or plant-based because we do have the utmost care and concern for the animals. Joey is a really sensitive hunter. Like there's, you just you can't sit in your echo chamber and pretend like I have all the answers and everyone else is stupid because mm. that's not the case. So I love that you brought that up because, yeah, absolutely, it's so much more nuanced than people want to say. Oh, absolutely. But I, sounds- I think
1: – Oh, go ahead, go, ahead.
2: go ahead. No, no, you go ahead.
1: So I think to tie this into what we were talking about earlier, um, we are now so many generations away from – when farming was practiced in a way that worked with nature mm-hmm. because I think some people forget at some point in our human history we didn't use chemicals to grow food <laughs> and, we, yeah. and we were still able to grow food and so that the how to work with nature to produce food has been lost because we are now like what five generations away from that before mm-hmm. the green revolution there were farms that had both animals and plants there was biodiversity which nature thrives in biodiversity. It abhors monocultures. And so we had that. Then we went to the green revolution. And so then similar to like our health journey where we weren't sat down and taught about real food and nourishment and what an actual healthy female body is. We've just been like relying on society's picture of it. And so it's just like you do like... What's been just follow what's currently being done. That's just what you should do, and it's the same thing in health. Like, oh, you're going to be on pharmaceuticals for the rest of your life. Like, that's just that's just how it's done. No, no, no. Like a hundred years ago, those didn't exist, and so the same type of thing in farming. Like people just assume I have to do GMO. I have to use a ton of pesticides to produce food, and it's like, wait, how did we do this before? Yeah, right. And we're now seeing the consequences of so many generations. Of just pushing off dealing with chemicals and destroying ecosystems we're now seeing that firsthand yeah and the trickiest
0: part too is like you have some really really loud voices saying that this is actually the way forward that we have to rely on monocrop industrial agriculture that we have to rely on genetically modifying plants animals insects just about everything is being worked on right now if not already in production and so it's like i i want to again sit down and have a cup of coffee with those people and be like listen what did you think we were doing 50 years ago because this stuff isn't 200 years old it's 27 years old and uh history is is our just our biggest teacher and I love that you're all about giving that context because it's the same conversation with dairy right we've been consuming dairy since the beginning of time basically what did we do before <laughs> louis Pasteur? louis pasture he was this man what did what in the world did we do did we all die from listeria we did not let's talk yeah so, <laughs> so you look like you have an uh, itching question no
2: i i um i just i think that um i am i'm in this world but i'm i'm also very much in a in, in a business world and and what i would call this is that it's it's not this idea of system like like systemic pressure is in everything it's in everything. Mm -hmm. And it's there, you know, boiling it down to find the root cause can oftentimes be challenging, but it's so easy to uh, find symptoms and blame that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so an example of this would be, um, you know, a Walmart that, that is, that is pressuring companies to make their packaging smaller. Right. Or more green because they, you know Walmart has a green initiative because they want to be more, they want to be more as a, as a company um, environmentally friendly, and so they, they push these initiatives for less plastic. Well, now these companies that, that are being forced that want to be on Walmart shelves have to create products that are using less plastics, which affects the whole system in different ways. And like systemic pressure um, starts with sometimes good intentions. Mm-hmm. And that's the crazy part is that if you really if you zoom way out you you, you, you follow it all the way up the chain, it, now sometimes you can find people that are malicious, but sometimes it's it's you're not understanding what the the trickle down effect of that is going to be the runoff effect, if you will, of a decision that changes the system. And so it's it's like this in in all scenarios and in, in every kind of category or industry. And, um, you know, farming and, and nutrition is, is certainly just not, it's not, uh, you know, immune to, to that sort of, to that sort of impact. So anything else on this?
0: I just, uh, to your point, I think too often people are yelling at each other about the symptoms and they're not again, having the discourse. And I think if they would just have the conversation and, and bring in some contextual history or some external opinion, Mm -hmm. they would have an easier they would come to middle ground faster. I'm just appalled sometimes when I read things on social media because I'm like, man, that is a lot of fiery energy just steered in the wrong direction, or man, if you would just listen to this one point and I think we're both saying the same thing, but like you're 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 applying it differently. Um, it's really have I think people have lost the skill of of conversing, which mm. Is kind of the reason why and, I wanted to do this podcast, and that might
2: be part of the root cause. Honestly, is this idea of education yeah. and, and people seeking out an understanding of what they're doing on their own yeah. uh, could be part of the root cause. Not not saying that it is the the uh, the only solution. I'm sure there's many, uh, but that definitely I believe could be could be part of it. So um, let's let's get back to the get back to the Armstrong sisters move to a farm. <laughs> Uh, story. Yes. So how,
0: we're curious how you even found your property. Like, yeah. What's step
2: one? So, so you, you're inspired. You've decided somehow that you want to have a farm, which is uh, amazing. And and um, you've toured a bunch. What's like? What what was the plunge? I mean, you you're you're on a farm today. So how how did that happen?
3: Did you guys not watch our YouTube video? Like, <laughs> like,
0: yeah. 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 I'm just kidding. Summarize kidding? it up for those who <laughs> have not. Oh,
3: geez. So. Yeah, well, I said this before, but we we made all these YouTube videos that we thought were going to be really helpful. (laughs) But in hindsight, we just, we literally look idiotic because we obviously had no experience with getting a farm. So I guess we were just documenting our journey. You can't, like, fault your younger self. This was Mm -hmm. just, like, two years ago. Um, But so basically we, I think we just started, we knew we were where we wanted to be. And so that was like the first thing. Okay, we want to be in southwest Michigan and because our parents are going to retire here, so we want to be close to them when they retire. Mm-hmm. So that gave us our location. And then we just started driving around like we literally drove around literally looking for for sale signs. And we realized very quickly that that is not how buying farmland works. <laughs> it is there are few and far between for sale signs and a lot of property that you're like it looks like nothing's happening on that property. A lot of that is somebody's property who may not even live there. It's just, they just, it's somehow they've acquired it. They're somewhere else. It's very hard to understand who actually owns that plot of land. And you have to go to like the local library or something to understand who owns that. Or you Mm -hmm. can use this hunting app and that'll show you the plots of land with somebody's last name. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so once you get that, you're like, all right, I can... I can maybe contact this person. A lot of people will not like you contacting them. No. <laughs> so eventually, after a bunch of failed attempts, we started dealing with a farm real realtor. estate. Realtor. Uh, basically, he just kind of helped us find land that would definitely was for sale so we weren't, like, in pro, uh, like bothering anybody. Because yes. mm-hmm. a lot of people don't want to be bothered, and I totally understand it. So, especially from two young girls who they're like, I don't want you moving in here. <laughs> yeah. And so we we found a couple, you know, pieces of land. Uh, we we didn't know what was going to be the best route, whether that was going to be to buy something or lease something. And we were big fans of Greg Judy and stuff on, on YouTube. And Greg Judy was like, you should – he's always encouraging leasing land because – and I, I do agree with this too for somebody who's just starting out is – there's a lot less risk in leasing a piece of land as opposed to going full force and buying the piece of land. But Ashley and I have literally always been a hundred percent or no, mm-hmm. and so <laughs> we just like flew into it and we found a piece of land after a lot of failed attempts, thinking we weren't going to find anything that had a wedding barn on it. And so, well, a, a really nice barn, a really nice barn. Sorry, it's not a wedding barn yet, but a really nice barn that had the potential to be a stacked enterprise. And so. Coming from a place of doing social media, we understood, like, hmm, you know, I, I don't know if just selling eggs is really going to su- no. <laughs> gonna support the us. Bills. Yeah. Yeah. So what else can we do to make this journey financially reasonable at the start? And I think it's important to uh, explain that
1: in graduate school, when we were living together, we we did buy a house. And so I did have some good credit and we were able to sell that house. And like she said, we are zero to hundred real quick. Mm-hmm. And we did put huge risk here. We still are risking a lot here. Um, and we did have to take out a loan and wouldn't always advise that to other people. But we had strong sisters. And so we were confident in our strong sisters as like another side hustle. Down as, the line, yeah.
0: Uh, down the line. How many, how many followers did you have at this point? Yeah, that
3: not that much. Probably like 20,000. <laughs> I that honestly much.
0: don't know. 20,000 well, is a sizable portion. I, oh, it definitely is.
3: I didn't mean that in a bad way. No, <laughs> I, 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 I totally I get you. at that time a lot of people obviously weren't following us for farming. So I think like it's really picked up since then because people are more down to watch chickens than... And I, I totally agree. We were insane. Ashley and I filming ourselves in the story. I apologize for anyone that
1: (laughs) followed us back then.
3: So I think, like, it's gone (laughs) in the right direction. But another thing to to touch on is, again, we knew our parents were going to be retiring here. So this Wedding Barn was an absolutely incredible opportunity for us, all four entrepreneurs. So my mom, my dad, my sister, and myself to go in on something together Mm -hmm. that we could do as a family. So that is, like, our family future project, the Wedding Barn. The farm is very much us. But that gave us this opportunity of okay, you know let's build something with our parents, let's invest in this very much still on the uphill battle of and you know let's get this going. but it it gave us a sense of security to actually buy a piece of property.
0: Mm-hmm. however you
1: oh, sorry. I was well, turning well, to what no, what we were talking about like just a little bit ago it's this the sad reality that farming alone right now, in the current oh, yeah. system, can't pay the bills. Even mm. even farmers in the conventional model who get government subsidies, like most of them have off the farm jobs. It's just yeah. a sad reality because our society, the US spends the least amount per capita on food relative to any other country. And so mm. our society just doesn't value local nutrient dense food as much as other countries do. And so like it's just a sad reality that in the current US farm system You have to have other jobs and so that's kind of the mindset we had coming into this farm is we have these other things and five years from now down the line if things really don't work we can sell the property so that's kind of what our mindset was at
0: so that kind of answers my question i was going to ask if you were looking for just a plot of land or a Mm -hmm. house on it for you to live there or but now you're like hey there's a house there too and a barn and another like a couple barns right yeah multiple
3: barns prior to finding this property we were looking for anything and everything. We were looking for a plot of land, an acre. Okay. We, okay. we were just trying to find something that we thought could work. And we were more so looking for a piece of land that had grass. And so mm-hmm. it's actually funny. What we ended up with was just a cropped field. But we thought like, oh, it would be nice, you know, to start from grass to put our animals on. But I think it was a blessing in disguise that we we ended up on this very cropped field because it has become this mission. Ashley has really learned so much about how can we take this previously cropped field and turn
0: it into a beautiful pasture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're going to teach so many other people how to do that. What was the crop on there? Do you remember? Corn, soy, oh. what was it? Um, so thankfully it rested for
1: a few years okay. prior to Maybe us. So? Yeah, uh, prior to us moving in. And it, it was just the standard corn, soy crop rotation. Um, okay. However, we did get the field, like the soil and our water tested for glyphosate and it was low, thankfully, hmm. somehow. Um, I think the glyphosate is kind of ubiquitous in our environment now, unfortunately, but it showed up low, whatever low means. Like, you know, like, is that low
0: now? Is that low relative 50 years ago? Should it even have ever been invented?
2: Yeah. yeah. All right. So you're, 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 you've a farm, you buy the farm. Yep. Um, which, I mean, the, the term bought the farm applies here. Maybe. Uh, anyways. So. It,
0: <laughs> yeah. He <laughs> I, thinks I'm, he's funny. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. That was, uh,
2: I, I got some dad jokes. Anyways, the, the um, first steps to so you're, you're. I mean, you got the, you know, keys and, yep. you know. Oh my
0: gosh, how did that feel? Were you nervous or scared or excited? Did you throw a party? Like, well, I'm going to throw a party. What? What was it? There was a week where I we sold our
1: house in Illinois. We closed on this property and I defended all in the same week and we moved all in the same week. And so I don't know if we threw a party. I don't but know.
3: <laughs> we should have. Well, we yeah. were literally so excited to move and it's just sad cuz like we loved where we lived before we had a cute little house and i think like the the worst thing that could have happened happened after this point on like it yeah. just became we were so excited the most <laughs> insane journey since that moment that we moved into this house to like i it's it's really weird to think back that it was literally almost just a year ago or a year and a half, a year and now. And a half ago that so much of our journey since then wasn't entirely focused on farming, but, like, the farm kept growing on the side. So that's one thing. Ashley really held the reins there. We are so grateful that she kept growing Angel Acres because it's, like, it's just, it's our baby at this point. But I think when we moved into this property, we just started getting sick. And it's because we moved into an 100-plus-year-old farmhouse mm. full of mold. Mm. And- oh I, I just, it just was so, I guess we never even touched on like, we didn't, we kind of ended at carnivore with our health journey. So that after carnivore, we started to really focus on getting our periods back and that introduced us to the pro-metabolic world of eating. So adding carbs Mm -hmm. back in, Dr. Ray Pete, understanding metabolism and thyroid and all these different, the body is just completely connected. You can't just like take away one thing and think it's going to function well. Like, like Liz said earlier. Like we said on our Instagram at some point, eat carbs and plants for energy and then get your nutrients and your fat and And your protein. Prepare them them properly. Yeah. And, um, so we had got, I had gotten my period back. Life was great sort of. Um, but we moved into this farmhouse and I just, I couldn't sleep anymore. I started dealing with this neuropathy in my feet. Mm -hmm. We were gaining weight. I was hallucinating, getting very depressed. And it was just crazy because I was like, it can't just be, like, moving stress. Like, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I lost my period again. She started dealing with similar things. But I think that she was so obsessed with getting the farm to work that she was not admitting it. So I thought I was going crazy. Yeah.
0: So
1: this was was fall 2020. We moved in. And then symptoms started to get really strong for her January. So just a few months after moving back in. It
3: was crazy. Yeah. So I... And, this, and the reason I bring this up, it's very important because it has largely shaped like what we're doing now and are, where our farm is at and what we, what we want to share with people because we didn't actually connect all these different elements of health until going through this. And so I ended up moving out. I, we had told you guys that our parents are going to retire here. So they have a house like 20 minutes away from our current farmhouse. So I moved out into their house. We lived completely separately for a while. I don't even think we were talking much. Um, but she was just still farming. This was about a year ago. Yeah. She was still with the chickens doing the chicken stuff every day, but I was just trying to figure out what was happening to me. Mm-hmm. And at some point in this, we, I listened to a podcast to learn about mold and it, everything clicked. Cause I was like, Oh, it has to be the house, right? Like it's the only thing that's changed. And I... We got our house tested. There was mold in my bedroom window, in our kitchen sky windows, in our HVAC which was just full of uh, gram negative bacteria and other things. So we we were like, okay, we have to do like we have to deal with this. We we invested in this property. We can't burn the house down. We were literally going to burn the house down at one point. I was going to look up <laughs> how you call the local fire department to come burn the house down. I I just. I just think it's important to understand, though, our different journeys at this point because Mm
1: -hmm.
3: I moved away from the farm and she stayed in the farm. And she ended up moving out as well, but she would always drive back to the farm. And she got better before I did because she was outside with the chickens and she kept going. She kept, she had like this hope and this passion to still work towards. And I was just like, what's wrong with me? You know, like. She Mm -hmm. was so fixed on her symptoms. Yeah. And so this just obviously kind of stalled our plans and progress with the farm but i think it's been so important to fully understand the connection between our environment which includes our land and our farming and our food and our health because prior to that it was nutrition Mm -hmm. yeah
1: and we were we were still eating
3: the exact same the exact same as
1: we're doing now and so our experience just shows that like there really is more to life and health and happiness than just the food you're eating. Yes. your lifestyle and your environment and your air quality and your water quality play a huge role in that. And farming directly impacts that too. Um, yeah. And so like she said, we are very much behind in our planned schedule of farming because we were we had to go through derailed almost a year because of the mold exposure here.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, did you get it remediated? What that process
3: look like? Yeah. Oh, guys, there are so many politics in like mold and stuff too. It's crazy. We got, we did get it remediated, but um, just okay. So if you look up mold toxicity on Google, you'll see like it's an allergy. They don't, they do not, they are not willing to admit that it can affect. Your, hormone, your hormones, your thyroid, anything like that, it obviously hinders energy production. So at that point, it's yeah. obviously going to lower your metabolism and yeah. all the different negative consequences that come with that. It burdens your liver. Mold
1: and the byproducts of mold is very estrogenic. Yeah. And so yeah. what in our environment, like all of the
3: plastics and all these things, it's just in adding to yeah. this huge estrogenic right. load. And... Um, So, we did get it remediated. That in itself was just this huge... Horrible. Uphill battle. Because I really also have identified... There's a lot of fear-mongering in the mold communities that you'll find on Instagram, too. Which I'm grateful for them on one end because I love the education. But I really so much a health is psychological too. And if I'm afraid of my environment, like I'm not gonna be okay. Yeah. And so it's it was so much um, brain rewiring to the point of like, okay, we fixed the problem. I'm safe. Everything's okay. You just like you cannot live in fear. And so we did we did remediate it and at this point, I it's just trust that everything's okay, right? Because I think you could just continuously spend eons of money to look further and look for more things and more problems but at a certain point you have to just work on becoming more resilient yourself and we got rid of the sources yeah we got rid of of the main sources but you know there's these things like mycotoxins so those are emitted from the mold and so those can go everywhere in your environment so Mm -hmm. you know at first when we did we basically threw all of our belongings out and we had to start over but you're you're never you're never going to be able to live in this like bubble at a point I wanted to, but you can't. And so this applies to farming too, like ticks, for example, they're in the environment. You can't avoid them. You can do your best to be aware and know how to remove it and how to treat your body in the meantime to be more resilient. But that was a huge lesson for us. And it's been really funny too, because as we've continued to farm in all this, we've connected Ashley's really done this, connected so many things back to the soil and how it's so similar, the soil health, to our home microbiome and our internal microbiomes. Like, everything is connected. It's all in one. Yeah. I'm obsessed with soil. Yeah, but your thoughts oh. have so much power, too. And so um, becoming more aware is important. But like we talked about with orthorexia, it's a very fine line you walk of becoming afraid.
1: Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. just,
3: you ha- you can't, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you,
1: I, it's almost like when you learn about the truths of certain things in this world,
3: like, it can oh, it can really here. like m-
1: make you depressed and sad, but you just have to just say, "Okay, I'm aware of it and now I'm just going to do the best I can."
0: Mhm. Yeah. I, I think the mold thing is interesting too. We we've dealt with mold remediation in our house lately. We, have. we had a flood, but um, your parents have dealt with it on a more extensive scale. His mom is a holistic practitioner who treat cool. who helps people overcome their Lyme like illnesses. So, she, you know, she talked about ticks. She's in that world. We are, we're like, you guys We're aware of it. We're aware of all of it. Not all of it, much of it. There's this piece you have to carry with you though, that is like, Hey, um, if I cross this path this uh new threshold and i'm having symptoms here who do i go to who do i talk to you can have sort of your resources in line or your ducks in a row but we can't walk around fearing everything and i I always think like our houses. first of all if you've ever seen a house built the plywood is just like in the elements for the first nine months of construction right our houses can't be mold free they can't be bacteria free just like our our gut shouldn't be that way Mm -hmm. um you know, I, I think about this all the time. Everyone is like, oh, the parasite or all oh, the thing or that thing made me sick. That thing probably played a role because the environment was already sick. It's the classic germ theory versus yeah. terrain theory. Right. And I feel like that applies to houses, too. And so I've lately been hearing this term when it comes to healthy air environments of like letting your house breathe. Mm -hmm. Letting it have enough. Like, yeah, it's okay. there might be water, you know, spilling out of your tub for a splash when your kid takes a bath. That's not going to grow mold. But some people will freak you out so much to where you're like, if this wall gets wet and stays wet for 24 hours, I'm going to have black mold. Burn the house down. Burn the house down. Exactly. And we we had a three-story flood in our home. Every single section of our mid-house was wet.
2: It was awesome. Talk
0: about fearing mold growth. I mean, we have little kids, so... I don't I'm not a mold expert. I'm not going to try to diagnose that, but I think there's something to be said about keeping one foot on the ground in terms of like how can we have a common sense approach to this? This mm-hmm. is a scary topic. Mold is something where yeah, even talking to our remediators we were like, everyone says this is super toxic, but you're just coming in here like you don't have a mask or anything on, and you do this for your job and you're fine? That's confusing. What are you talking about? It mm-hmm. was very, there was very, it was inconsistent.
2: Not to mention, right, we're dealing with the insurance, and oh, it yeah. was. I don't
0: know if you guys had insurance it, issues, it, but it was
2: like, here's here's how much money you get for mold remediation, and the mold remediation company <laughs> sends us a bid for the exact amount that the insurance company gave us. So I was just like I was like, are all the jobs the same? Yeah, it was weird. Or. Ew. what's what's happening here you know and it was yeah. it was a it was a i think they gave us like what like five thousand dollars and the bid came back at like four thousand nine hundred ninety bucks yeah. Or yeah something like that and i just remember thinking to myself okay this is all very odd passing
0: the buck but like we were watching it happen whatever i'm thinking. i was just shuffling cash
2: and then they yeah. brought in a bunch of like these things they would turn on after they like cut the mold out that would like run in the space, like fans and such, the yeah, and like I, I just was like, uh, you know, it's that's, a very that's bad, it.
1: It. it's a very bad industry. We were scammed yeah. by three different companies. Last year was honestly like, if we just don't,
3: yeah, and then last like, year was bad. No, so no insurance covered because no. if you don't get your house pre-inspected before you buy it, it's they don't cover mold. Um, ah, yeah, and so. Mm. But yeah, the machines that are run, I I mean, I think it's so important that like you're aware of it. Like we were all talking about, I think knowing when you need, like, I don't think you should live with the source of mold, right? Right. If there's a source of mold and it's making you sick, you remove it. But at a certain point, that is it. You removed the mold. You have to keep living. And so it just took me a little bit longer to get there. Okay. (laughs) But I think that it was so important to understand that though, because, you know, Living in fear, like we've discussed, is probably way more stressful than the mold. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Can, can, I, can I tie this mold discussion back to farming and back to health? <laughs> Please do.
0: Get it, in it, here. It, Please do. Is,
1: it is all related. And we went through these. I truly believe that we went through all these experiences for a reason.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Soil health. your So soil microbiome. Your home microbiome. Your own gut microbiome. They all have microbes and bacteria and fungi, like all these things. And we are, I don't know, people fear those a lot, right? But when they're in the right balance, there's nothing to fear. Mm -hmm. So many things that we use in modern society are throwing that balance off, causing issues, allowing these diseases to manifest. And in the home, that's all of those antimicrobial, antibacterial products that we're spraying all over the place and using very liberally. And then for human health, like I grew up on antibiotics. I was one with antibiotics growing up. Like I'm sick. Here's your Z pack. Just take it for like three months and you'll be fine. Wipe out so much of your gut. And then in farming... Soil is alive. Soil has a microbiome. When we use these pesticides and these chemicals, you aren't just killing the bugs that are killing your crops. You're killing everything in the soil. You are wiping it clean like an antibiotic. We are spreading antibiotics across our fields and that is having huge consequences. Why do we have to continue to create these new glyphosate, these new pesticide variants because weeds are becoming resilient to them? Like nature Mm -hmm. is going to outsmart us every single time. And so it really is all connected. When we move past this, like, I need to kill, 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 and live in this clean, sterile, everything needs to be germ free. That's where you can become unresilient. That's where you become susceptible and where our soil becomes diseased and our crops get overthrown by all mm-hmm. of these different diseases. So it, it really is all connected. And I think that it requires like a huge shift in your mindset as to like, w- how do we achieve true resilience and being truly healthy? Yeah. Is it through the use of products or is it establishing a strong foundation?
3: Yeah. yeah. And I think too, like the, <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I, I, I just drop the mic. It connects back to, Your metabolism as well, and understanding that because I can identify why maybe I struggled with the mold so much. And you know, going through my entire childhood not having a period, not detoxing estrogen, and then Mm -hmm. going and doing a lot of restrictive dieting and then not eating carbs for basically two or more years, I obviously had a lot of stress on my liver. So then, when your Mm -hmm. liver is not detoxifying, you're just going to build up all the mold. And so it's ironic because the liver is often connected to the foot. And that's where I experienced my neuropathy. And So just under being able to understand this, it provides context. It allows you to not be afraid. It's like, okay, here's what's happening. Here's how I fix it. And so that has been so powerful because we are completely okay now. And I mean, my life just a year and a half ago was entirely different. And it's so beautiful to just be educated and aware and be on the other side of something. And I think that's why social media is so powerful. Cause I just, I see so many people, you know, struggling with these same things and it's just like, Whoa, you have to like, it's going to be okay. You yeah. know? You just, yeah. Wow.
2: So I, drops in there somewhere. I know.
0: Joey's like, my I just,
2: I just need to, there's sometimes when you emphasize a moment and that was, that if was I'm awesome. going
0: to clip a portion of this on social media, Savage. what you both just said. Yeah. Um, I love that. And I, yeah, I, I I just lost my train of Let's though, uh <laughs> no,
2: sorry, that's my fault for interrupting. But anyways, <laughs> uh, so early challenges. Oh my gosh! So you're you're you found mold in the home and got the mold out, and so the actual farming mm-hmm. uh, steps. Right, that you have chickens. I heard you say that. Yeah. What so, else did you have? Uh, the what, what 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 do you guys got going on at the farm? What were some of the first things? Um, yeah.
1: Okay, so I think where someone starts with the farm is going to differ based on where you are geographically and what your field looks like. Mm. Like Sarah said, the ideal case is you buy this property that has this luscious pasture, and all of your dairy cattle and your other animals can eat that pasture, and you can rotate them and move them and work with nature. Well, that's not easy to find these days, and we found that. We were not able to find any good property, Um, and it's just a reality that since the Green Revolution, we have been degrading soils at an astounding rate and we are losing topsoil year after year after year that is going to catch up to us at some time um if someone's really interested in this look up the work of david montgomery he talks about how many civilizations died off because they lost a way to grow food They degraded their soil Um, and so we're kind of living that right now. Like we're losing a lot of our topsoil and topsoil is the most nutrient dense top part of the soil. And that's what we use to grow 95% of our food. And so our pretty much everything in the Midwest, you guys are in Ohio, you see this, Mm -hmm. like the corn and soy fields, like that is degrading our soil due to a number of reasons. Like heavy tillage machinery use is ripping up fungi networks and then, All of the soil erosion that's happening, we're losing the soil because it's so compacted. And then all of the chemicals are destroying the microbes in the soil. And so the state that our field was in, we had to take like a very specific step in order to work towards having a pasture. And unfortunately, that is going to take a number of years, but that's the beauty of animal integration. An inch of topsoil takes like 500 years if you just let nature do its thing if you integrate animals that can happen in like five years or like, if you look up the work of Gabe, wow. Gabe Brown, he's grown a number of inches of topsoil on his farm by strategically implementing animals. Um, and so we knew that that's the direction that we had to take and strategically introduce animals in a way that was at a comfortable rate for us while dealing with mold exposure and trying to deal with that situation. Um, and so we started with chickens cause that's like the easiest animal Path in, and when you buy chickens that are at a laying age, those are called pullets, you can get eggs instantly, right? So that's a nice thing to add to your farm first because you can get the chickens, produce eggs, sell the eggs. Um, and then we were planning to add lamb to the field because ruminants are some of the best animals, honestly, the best tool we have at our disposal to improve and regrow topsoil because bison. Grew the topsoil that we all use for our food production today. Um, so then we added a lamb flock onto the field, and now we are starting to explore adding a dairy operation. So more ruminants. Um, but yeah, so we've had chickens, we had a lamb flock, our next lamb flock is arriving soon. And then now are you we're picking kinda...
0: it up. Are you going to pick it up in a moving truck again? Is <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> uh, that,
3: yes.
1: that just like screamed. in a U-Haul? That
0: screams first generation farmers. Um, so no, that screams scrappy though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm proud of it. <laughs> I kind of like it. I kind of like it. Beautiful like about it. what you guys are doing because yeah. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be really honest right now. Joey and I, is, as close as we try to get to our food, and he's a hunter. We live in the suburbs. Yeah. I've never farmed a day in my life. I have a small garden. It's honestly failing this year. Yeah. We don't know what to do. You guys, as much as you're like, yeah, we're first generation farmers. We don't know what we're doing. That's that's what this life's about. There's yeah. beauty in that. I love that you guys were like, we don't have a trailer. We have to go pick up all these lamb. Uh, let's U-Haul. rent a U Haul. Right. Like, on. I don't even think U <laughs> Haul allows that. I'm pretty sure you guys should have gotten fined for that Absolutely. or something. Absolutely. But I just, I just, wa- I was making fun of you. I'm sorry. But I was like, I'm not even making fun of you. I'm bringing up a funny point because I think it's so cool. I it like the really scrappiness. Cool. Yeah, I, I like it. I like the scrappiness of. You guys don't have all the equipment. You weren't outfitted with everything. You don't have an uncle who can lend you a tractor right now. Guess what? You guys are working on it. You you plant it, and I watched a ton of your youtube so i know that you planted an entire crop field of something that you then had to the, rip out because you're like this is making my animal sick the, those <laughs> lessons those what is that I called sorghum that. sorghum sorry i'm bringing up all their like pain points of their first year of i forgot about them that's so funny i, I, no, I love it i love it your youtube channel because it's it's encouraging for me as someone who doesn't even the even the bravery it took for you girls to find something that that i'm like could we even do that could joey and liz hazelmeyer even do that i don't know i'm like i'm i'm in all of you guys so i think that's super cool
2: it is it is it is pretty awesome so um so we're, we're talking about the animals we have on the farm we've got
3: chicken so, and lamb chicken and lamb, and currently. soon to be a cow and soon
2: to be a cow that's the that's the plan
3: Yay. we've got we've also got mavis and camo who are our two goats and oh. they're just too young to have milk right now, but they will be dairy. We, we tried to get him cold. pregnant and we failed. We,
1: we failed. we We brought a buck here to get him pregnant and he didn't do the job. They didn't, didn't swipe pregnant or anything. <laughs> he wasn't a good match. I don't know what
3: happened. <laughs> so okay, okay. okay our girls deserve the best. He wasn't it.
0: <laughs> they, <laughs> no need to have, they need those high standards. To have you, I'm curious. Do you guys have a water source on your property? We have, like, a well. have a pond. Oh, you have a well. Okay. Okay. I was right. like, could you guys have ducks or something? But if you don't have a pond, I guess it'd be hard. Um,
2: and so then you have crops. You've done crops.
3: No. So part of the. Oh, the sorghum. <laughs> yeah. So when you have like. Um,
1: okay. So if you like think back to many, many years ago, so much of the U.S. was just native prairie. And mm. that was grown and developed by bison. And obviously we've turned many, much of that into like crop production, which is necessary. We need gas for our cars. We need certain crops and we need feed for animals and stuff like that. And so I'm not saying that that's like a bad thing. It's just many of our fields are degraded due to industrial agriculture practices. And so it takes like very strategic steps and a lot of patience to convert it back into prairies because when you have ruminant animals... They need to eat grass, but dead soil is not going to grow grass. It doesn't have the microbial community to activate the perennial seed bed that's present there. Um, And so we're in that process of converting our field that was degraded into a pasture. And so part of that process is seeding it with cover crops. And so we are all about like the more diverse, the better Um, And so we chose eight different cover crop species. And so basically we planted those to be feed for the Mm -hmm. livestock. But then the mold exposure happened and the lamb arrival was pushed back a number of months because we were living in tents. It was a weird year. And so none of the animals were able to eat that. And little do we, little, (laughs) okay, one of the crops that we grew was sorghum, and sorghum becomes toxic to animals after frosts. And so we, we didn't take that into consideration because we thought the lamb would have grazed it by then because we were gonna get the lamb earlier, but then the mold thing happened. And so <laughs> we had to get the animals off the field in the fall when we moved back in because we were like, oh my God, the lamb and the horse could get sick from eating sorghum that just got killed by the frost. Um, and so you have to plant cover crop seeds because you need a food for the livestock.
3: The sorghum also grows to like eight to nine feet. No, like 16, 16 feet. 16 feet. So like suddenly. Oh my we gosh. Can't, we can't That's even like see crazy. our chickens. <laughs> we can't move the coop because it's just like flopping into the sorghum seeds. <laughs> and oh another God. thing is that like after a certain point, sorghum like will mold. And so I'm just like, no, not again. Oh, yeah, no. not again. So no. I made Ashley go on the tractor and brush hog all of the sorghum down. <laughs> Guys, I, I
1: ate, just last week, I spent three days of my life well, sitting this, on a tractor. This was the rest of it. So you
0: did some of it last. Yeah. It's yeah. been while. I ongoing. watched that YouTube. I think I watched that YouTube yep. Of yep. You yep. showing that. And I was like, yep. okay, she's still got a lot to do though. <laughs> so I, was like, That's what is so she I finished do? that last week. She finished. Oh, it wow. took three days.
1: Yeah. And so we basically seeded, didn't use any of it, brush hogged it, but brush hog doesn't, disrupt the soil it's basically just like a mower but for yeah. like tall stalks and so it leaves the organic matter on top of the soil keeps it covered
0: um so now what do you do do you lay top soil? do you dig that up and replant like how do you what do so you do? i don't know how in depth you guys want me to
1: go but to grow soil you can do top down or bottom up and so top down is like animals hooves pushing organic matter into the soil and then that decomposes into organic matter right Mm -hmm. so that's like takes a long time Mm
0: -hmm. Um, but that is a
1: very important step and so a lot of that organic matter will eventually be like decomposed into the soil so we're not going to move it it's just going to be sitting on the top Um, and then another way to grow soil is by strengthening the microbial community in the soil Mm -hmm. and the more turnover you can get of microbes so microbes die we all die everything dies the more turnover you can get those microbes and the and the more microbes you have, they're all going to die, and then those dead microbes become organic matter, and so you can grow soil from bottom up. But you can only do that when you're not using pesticides and um, destroying the microbial communities down below. Um, and so we're tomorrow. We have someone coming to seed our fields. We don't have a huge crop, uh, a huge tractor to seed the fields, and so mm-hmm. he's coming and. No, plant, sorghum. Nor, so, no sorghum. No sorghum in there. No
0: sorghum.
1: And he's nope. planting like eight different species of cover crops for us. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, so it will just be able to be seeded over like that mowed down area, right? Yep. And so okay. he's using what's called a no-till. Yeah. Um, and so there are some beautiful things about modern technology and science. And one of them is a no-till machine. So you've got a, a till which digs very deep into the soil and disrupts and destroys fungal networks. And then a no-till is just this like disk. And it's a few series of discs in a row, and basically the first disc just makes a small slit in the soil. Then the machine drops a seed in, and then the back uh, disc slides the soil back on top of it, so that way your seed is like fully covered in soil. And so he'll be able to control where the disc is, and it can go, it can go below, like it'll just be a little bit in the soil, and it will just
0: go right over the crops. That it. Yeah. We- yeah. This, is a, this is a. This is a hazelmeyer first of all my father-in-law thought i was an idiot when i said i wanted to do a no-till garden he was like no till i'm bringing my rototiller over which that's that's what they do at their garden and that works for them and his and not his dad but your mom's dad also did the same thing so it's like very generational like yeah we tilled our land it's I don't know. It's in the Bible. I mean, you till. You, we've been tilling for years. I think tilling has looked different than it does now, and so this is a yeah. constant conversation of like, okay, wait. I want to know till, but I also need to like dig up the soil to plant my seed. But now, like our seedlings are failing, and Joey's like, "Is it because we didn't till our garden?" I don't know. There's. I'm taking an organic gardening class. I'm trying to learn. It's hard, though, because you have these different farming philosophies, even within like the organic or regenerative space, and sometimes it feels confusing. these terms are thrown around, and you're just like, "But how does the plant grow? Like if the soil is too compact and we have too much clay in Ohio, how does it grow this, how d- does it grow the roots? Are we, give, are we not giving it enough um, credit that it is stronger than the clay? I don't know. I don't know. So I was, that was just a mini rant to say, "No till, till." it's still confusing to me to this day so oh yeah i
3: mean i think like you said i think tilling looks different now mm-hmm. than before because if you read like the way amish people farm is their horses are dragging horse like, exactly. yeah it's like a lot it's probably more gentle than having a like massive piece of machine yeah Come rip through. up
0: feet of soil yeah, right there's yeah. a difference and, and and I don't think people understand like what about all the worms the poor worms that were massacred mm-hmm. in that tilling of that soil I don't know that's this is yeah. the things i think of
3: yeah no so.
2: so what is the ideal depth is there an ideal depth for uh, the the no till method
1: i uh, i am not sure I, there is a lot of buttons that you can play with on the tractor and <laughs> they they know a lot more than i do but um i i have some like personal thoughts on that i think that we have you guys heard of quorum sensing Mm -mm. um and so i like to relate it back well i don't this is an example um like when congress votes makes a vote right a certain number of people have to show up in order for that vote to be valid so if congress or if a group was like 100 people and only 20 people showed up that day they can't make the vote and pass it right so the same thing happens with microbes um, you have to have a certain number present in order for them to collectively join together and produce the desired result. We, The world runs on microbes. Microbes perform so many functions for us. We don't digest food. Our microbes do it for us. In the soil, those microbes provide... So they are actually the bridge between the nutrients in the soil and the plant. And so those microbes will only work when we have a certain number of them. And so that's why I do think that no-till is important because... Like, tilling can really disrupt those those networks down in the soil. Um, and then another thing that we do that works against those microbial communities is, like, monocrops. Mm-hmm. Um, like, that just doesn't... Nature doesn't work that way. And the more diversity that we have, each plant has its own root system, unique root system, and mycorrhizal fungi networks. And all of those go at different depths. And they're all able... It's like this... It's the internet inside the soil. So you have all these these cables that are all seeking different nutrients in the soil, and they all communicate with each other. Um, And so, again, we've never grown crops. I just have read a lot about these things. Mm. But I think the more that we do, like, biodiversity and no-till over time, a lot of those root systems and networks in the soil will properly develop and be able to provide the nutrients that the plant needs. And that varies throughout a plant's life cycle, whereas with industrial systems, like, it just focuses on MPK, MPK all year round, whereas, like, a plant will need a different amount of nutrients. Which is
0: nitrogen, potassium, and... Phosphorus. Phosphorus, thank you. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I don't remember that. <laughs> I
3: was like, what is the other? Okay. And so I think it's just, like
1: again we are just so used to what everyone's been doing recently that we forget that like indigenous cultures like I I am huge on honoring what so many of the indigenous cultures discovered on their own we didn't have science and and technology they had to figure out how to farm to work with nature because they viewed nature as something that they lived in they were a part of it they didn't own it they lived in it and they worked with it Mm -hmm. um and so like honoring and respecting what they did. And I think that a lot of that is, is lost today. Um, but there are a number of examples of these regenerative farmers that over time have really improved this biodiversity and soil health. And they don't have to till anymore. They don't have to apply any chemicals because their soil microbial communities are so strong and resilient that it's able to provide all the nutrients that the plant needs. And the, the roots systems are so diverse that it has different depths and is able to like certain root systems can like till for you as mm. an example and like break up the soil
0: um. loosen up at the soil right yeah. exactly yeah yeah polyface farms uh, i was just there like two uh maybe four weeks ago A f- beautiful example of that he when he walked on those pastures when his parents first bought that farm it wasn't even pasture it was like rock he couldn't even step on a piece of vegetation now 30 some years later it's like the most lush green thing i've mm. ever seen so that's why i always encourage people if you can just step foot on a farm just step foot on one one obviously that's that's doing things with integrity but yeah i think that's really cool
2: right on so uh, we're living on a farm now we the mold's gone we have our animals our lamb our goats our chickens um what's what's next what are the future plans what are we learning today? Uh, what, what's what's the future of Angel Farms? Angel look like? Acres. Angel Acres. Look yeah.
3: Like so the lush pasture is the goal. That's what we're working towards. That's why we're seeding because we just don't have that yet. Mm. But, yeah, there's so much inspiration out there that's like, oh, it's it's in our future. That's our mm-hmm. inspo, mm-hmm. right?
2: <laughs> and our picture sports. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. So what's next is, I mean, growing the farm at a reasonable pace that is – Approachable for us has been something to figure out. Like, what's that? What is the, um, what's the pace that we can keep up with everything, and still, you know, keep our sanity? Because it's just mm. for the most part us too And so right now we service a lot of amazing egg customers. So we ship our Angel Acres eggs, which are corn and soy free, low poofa eggs. So it's this mm-hmm. custom feed that Ashley developed and our eggs, she got them tested. They have like an absolutely stellar nutri- nutrient profile. And so we weekly ship out our eggs. So that's kind of like our first we like dipped our toes into um, shipping perishable items. Eggs are great because they don't have to be refrigerated. So mm-hmm. we didn't have to deal with a lot of, you know, those minute details of like how many ice packs. Lamb mm-hmm. was another thing though because we had to ship that, which is great. Like it's Instagram and social media is amazing because people in our direct, you know, 10 mile, 20 mile, 50 mile, hundred mile radius wouldn't really get down with what we're doing. So being able to provide for people who actually appreciate it and, you know, some people can only eat our eggs because they react to other eggs. And so being able to provide for them has been incredible opportunity via social media. And so we ship our lamb and we'll be doing that again, once we get our next batch of lamb. And so kind of growing in terms of the farm, how can we continuously expand and provide nutrient-dense items to people to progress their health? And so I think the next thing we might venture into is doing dairy, raw dairy and other dairy products. That is going to be in a huge uphill battle. So we're going to start really small with, like, figuring it out for ourselves. How can we be sanitary? How can we be 100% safe? How can we milk the goats? We've never milked a thing. We've never milked a teat. Nope. But we're going to... <laughs> And this is
0: why I love you
3: guys. (laughs) We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. So we've got Mavis and Camo. We made the mistake of buying them too young. So we're probably going to get another one named Jenny. Jenny
1: from the black. Jenny's coming.
3: She's another goat. And then we're also going to get a dairy cow. So kind of start exploring a two, a two raw dairy. All right. Let's just throw out the idea that we have. Oh my gosh. I am so inspired by these large Amish online websites that sell, like, everything. They sell every Mm -hmm. single meat. They sell every single dairy product possible. Mm -hmm. It's just, in my free time, I browse those sites. They're so fun. I love it. And so I want to be able to provide all of these different products to people all over, you know, the U.S. who maybe just can't access it elsewhere. It's so hard to find quality raw dairy, it's so hard to find... Like, these farms we're talking about are few and far between. Yeah. Mm. So how can we become that source to people who just don't have access? And I, I think, like, that... Because health is so important to us, I just... I totally understand now the quality of your food and the impact that has on your health. So how can I provide that to more and more people? talking about the caravan. Oh, the caravan. So we really are interested in this idea of milking a camel so we want not just no 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 <laughs> having a diverse okay. well a, a, f- flock. A, a group of camels my boyfriend let us know that that's called a caravan yeah that's awesome. i was
0: gonna say is it called a flock a it's flock a, fl- caravan. Caravan. a caravan are
2: there any other caravans quickly just because i'm curious
0: uh, like it, it does caravan apply to any other yeah, animal? yeah i don't know i don't know
3: but we have this idea of having this caravan and it's like a camel meets a buffalo meets a cow cow meets a goat meets a yak etc so we want to have a little like fun because like how diverse yeah can you get and this like models
1: what nature wants like we want to have a really diverse farm here Mm -hmm. and so that requires adding different ventures and so you know doing maybe fruit trees we're gonna do an orchard Mm -hmm. bees and honey dairy, but then within dairy, can we, like, diversify a little yeah. bit and have this group of animals, Um and so that will Are require... Are going to milk the
0: camels? Are you going to milk the camels? Yes.
3: Yeah. A hundred percent. Camel milk ham- is incredible. A very high source of really? one. Mm-hmm.
0: It's, as as far as I know, I think it's the closest thing to human milk. Camel milk. Oh, I didn't I know that I I have... was... Told, I have never heard
2: of drinking or so, consuming or talking about camel milk in my life. This oh yeah, awesome.
0: camel <laughs> milk, camel milk soap. Okay, but here's my question: Can mm-hmm. a camel live in Michigan?
1: Yeah, there's a few camel farms yeah. in Michigan and in
0: Indiana. Oh. So well, camels are they? The camel
3: milk is used extensively for people with autism. Apparently, it's like it, it drastically turns these people's lives around. Yeah. And wow. I think that. Dairy in itself, raw dairy, and Mm -hmm. I mean, dairy in general, but raw dairy and like the milk cure, I'm sure you guys have heard of, and like Mm -hmm. just drinking milk. I think that's, can be so powerful for people. And so we got really into this idea of like, okay, what, why camel milk? And Ashley discovered that it's because camel milk is extremely high in vitamin B1 Mm -hmm. and there's got to be some connection there with the metabolism. There is, I mean, there is a connection and... So, basically, our goals on the farm mimic what our goals are for ourselves. So, like, what, what do I want in my life? I want camel milk. So, <laughs> I want to be able to provide that. And um, I think also we, we want to tie this into our barn, too, because, like, we talked about stacked enterprises. So,
0: mm. ooh, camels would make a great wedding photo op.
3: Right? Like, am yeah. I in the desert or am I in Michigan? Am I, I don't know. In the most,
0: <laughs> Wait, am but, I in the... Yeah. Wait,
3: but do you yeah. want
1: do you want a water buffalo? Do you want a lamb? <laughs> do you want a goat? Do you want a
3: camel, or
1: do you want a cow in your backdrop?
3: Yeah, which one do you? Or <laughs> all of our chickens, which they're coming no matter what. They have no yes. control. So the wedding barn essentially, obviously, is is will be primarily used for weddings. But I think being able to, which I think we talked about this before our our call started, but have these like educational courses for different populations. So whether that's children coming to learn Mm -hmm. about farming and, you know, where their food's coming from or being able to host people like you, like who want to come and be on farms and, I mean, host a podcast there or something. So how can we impact the most amount of people possible and bring them...
0: to the a farm, homegrown camp or something there.
3: Yep, yeah, like it. that's such yes. that would be incredible.
1: Well, I, I listened how, to your podcast about um, your experience at Polyface, and how Joel mm-hmm. is just like a natural educator. That like I, Sarah too. I love educating. I wanted to be a professor, and so how can we combine our mm-hmm. passion of like sharing information and having people hear firsthand, and then again having people step on the farm it can you can make that light bulb switch of oh this is this is how food this is real food this is how food should be made and so having other people experience that as well and then combining sarah's experience with like developing programs and having kid programs and help educating the next generation because that's the future and there's weird stuff out there right now (laughs) on a number of levels
0: um yeah i love that uh I was going to ask how big your farm, how many acres you guys are working with. So in total it's 26. Um, Right now we're
1: kind of only dealing with like 22. We do have like a a nice like wooded plot, like right behind our house where maybe we'll have pigs in the future. Um, But that's just too much right now. We want to focus on the dairy right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But we'd love to be able to expand in the future and acquire more land around us. We kind of just want to flip Flip this land first, um, and
3: see where we. Yeah, I mean that it. is a consideration too. Is the amount of land you have then it's going to dictate like the type and the amount of animals that you can yeah. uh, responsibly graze without overgrazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why chickens and lamb made the most sense. Whereas like of course we want to get more and more cattle and bison and all these things, but we really would have to acquire more land first. And yeah. so. We say all these things, it's like in the future because obviously yeah. finances play a role and... Camels are totally. very expensive. Yeah, <laughs> It's
1: just it's I not imagine can't afford a
3: camel right now.
2: <laughs> I've never gone camel shopping but I believe it. you. Yeah. It's
0: been my last week.
2: <laughs> <That's
3: amazing.
0: laughs> the fact that you live a life where you're genuinely searching on the internet for a camel to purchase yeah. is just incredible. Oh my I mean, gosh. I love... Can we get on their level? I don't, what I mean, are we doing? Can you
2: imagine in our area where we live, if, if our neighbor Neighbors looked outside and had like I was walking the camel yes. in the backyard. Who needs,
0: a, who needs a dog? Speaking of dogs, how's Cooper?
1: Oh, Cooper's doing great. Um, Good. I think that Cooper is an example of like how willing our body is to heal when it's given the right tools. Um, I'm a huge proponent of something called PEMF, Pulsed Electromagnetic Frequency Therapy now, because I think that that really healed things. So Okay, I should provide some backdrop
2: for I'm Yeah, interested. Joey's like, what are we what talking about? Cooper, I'm guessing, is a dog?
0: So Cooper's their adorable puppy who's also going to be in our coloring book. Like okay. yes. Literally, I was like, I want to feature Angel Acres, but, like, it's got to be Cooper, right? Yes. Like, that's, like, the face of your farm. Okay. Yes. So, anyways, Cooper yeah. had a sad accident. Um, no. I don't know. When. So we have, you can tell the story. We have
1: a uh, – so part of regenerative agriculture is regularly mo- moving your animals, right? And so for okay. our chicken flock – we have this like mobile chicken coop it's like a massive greenhouse style structure Mm -hmm. and it probably weighs like 1500 pounds
2: oh no
1: Um, we had a really bad windstorm about eight weeks ago or something like that and it was like 80 mile per hour winds a semi truck flipped over on the road by us oh my gosh um the chicken coop went aerial and landed on top of cooper who was 10 weeks old at that time um we had to slide him out like a sardine out of a can like his whole back half was flattened he was foaming at the mouth his eyes were closing hardly breathing um and so sarah just like drove the truck up there i got in with
3: him and we took him to the emergency uh vet which we live in like the middle of nowhere so it was like 40 minute drive yeah oh
0: my gosh Um,
1: and so through so then they had to do some procedures there to keep him alive, and they kept him for three nights and stabilized him at the emergency vet, and then we he was transferred to like a neurologist and did a bunch of MRIs and X-rays, and he didn't have any movement in his back half. Um, but with rest and doing a bunch of PEMF therapy and acupuncture, um, he started to be able to like scoot around with his front legs, not using his back legs, and then. Five weeks later, um, he was able to, like, start standing, and we would, like, help support him, and then he started walking. Um, Amazing. And Good. so mm-hmm. I, he's just, like, a testament who, like, you really can heal if, I, I mean, granted, like, a, a puppy does have, like, incredible healing abilities because they're growing, but um, it was really cool to watch him.
3: Mm. That, like, what a story.
2: Caught. I'm so happy that yeah. Cooper What is kind okay. of dog
3: is Cooper? He's a... Great Pyrenees for the most okay. part, but then mixed with like Anatolian Shepherd and Koo, something like Kuzak or something, a different breed that's also a very common livestock guardian dog. But he's just mm-hmm. like, if you're thinking of what he looks like, he's that typical white, cute, fluffy thing. Mm. <laughs> and I mean, this accident happened like the first week we got him. Yeah. Oh, so man. it was like, it, there's been many experiences like that farming where something that you are supposed to take care of gets hurt or dies. And that in itself has been just something we've had to learn how to deal with. Never dealt with that growing up. Yeah. Ever. Because, like, yeah. you didn't, you know, if you didn't grow up on a farm, then, you, yes, your pets die here and there. But, like, suddenly your pet actually kills your chicken. And it's like, what do you do? You know, it's it's been, that's been one of our greatest challenges, like, dealing with the death and the injury. So Cooper, luckily, was a success story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's
2: awesome. So after this, when I go to your Instagram, can I see Cooper? Yeah, yeah, there? yeah. I'll,
0: okay. show I'll show you pictures. I'll show you pictures. Right on. I kind of want to see Cooper. <laughs> um, that,
2: that's amazing. And so uh, food philosophy, what are you guys learning about food philosophy these days? It sounds like you're learning a lot. You got, you're, I mean, we're looking at camels. We're looking at uh, starting wedding venue businesses, being educators. But uh, personally, food philosophy, what are you guys learning? How are you uh, getting after that journey these days?
1: I think, honestly, the biggest thing one of the biggest lessons is proper food preparation. Um, and then distinguishing like, okay, so you've got kale that contains a lot of nutrients, but is it actually bioavailable? And if you're eating raw kale smoothies, like am I actually getting those nutrients or are some of the compounds in kale actually causing nutrient deficiencies Mm. in my body? And so kind of better understanding the bioavailability of nutrients kind of helps you see, okay, like plants are a great source of nutrients for certain things, but then you cannot skip animal products or else you are going to miss very vital nutrients in your diet. Um, and so
3: kind of like what we said yeah, earlier. I think you summarized it really well is the animal products for the nutrients and then the carbohydrates. So mostly, like I would say, plant products. And we do it some grains like masa harina. And, and, and sourdough. Sourdough and wh- white rice for energy. And... I think that being more intuitive with hunger cues too and like what my cravings are has been something Mm. really valuable to learn because the body knows best and we've learned this through our animals because, so Ashley introduced me to this book called Nourishment and it was so enlightening to read about how a goat knows exactly what it needs and what it doesn't need and it will graze very specifically for what it needs. Liz, you will love that book. You should put it on your list. I will. And I'll look
1: it up. I have an interview with uh, the author, uh, Dr. Fred Provenza, on the YouTube Mm -hmm. channel. Oh, that was one of my favorite conversations I've ever had. Um,
0: And then read the book. Yes. Okay. Oh, so watch the interview first? Okay. (laughs)
1: Well,
3: (laughs) so that, you can read the book. That was really enlightening. I mean, that's not like my food philosophy, but I think that's something really interesting is we humans have really gotten away from that. Because we don't know what to eat. And so we list, we go and seek out all these different diets or ideas of what to eat. So kind of trying to be more in touch with that, but also understand that over time and through dieting and all these different things, I have really, you know, I possibly hindered my hunger cues. So eating intuitively, but intelligently, like being aware yes. of my needs and that I probably should eat even if I'm not hungry. Because just knowing that like there's so many hormones that could suppress your hunger signals and all these things. So... That, and then also eating just to improve energy production and what that looks like is there's so many nuances, but I think just like a very general overview would be anybody who is into the pro-metabolic way of eating. So, you know, really supporting liver function, really supporting your thyroid, eating regularly, providing enough carbohydrates for energy, and then also providing those incredibly valuable nutrients from the most nutrient-dense animal products like liver and Mm -hmm. you know dairy and I mean even things like oysters and stuff so uh, eating for nutrient density like you said but also not skipping over the fact that I like love chocolate and I love I'm a sucker for ice cream and so how can I make that in the most nutrient dense way possible you know you you make it
0: how they made it a hundred years ago yeah right
3: you you Mm -hmm. how your grandma made it
0: Yep, I have an Instagram post that is like one of the best performing things. It's like eat like it's 1859 or something. And it's just like it's so true. Like before pasteurization, before uh, GMOs, before all the things. What did we eat? Eat that. Go ahead. And I think mm-hmm. something
2: we've talked about a number of times that I'm starting to really enjoy and learn a lot is this idea of food education can really provide a lot of food freedom. Mm-hmm. And it's this 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 if I know how to prepare or what goes into X Y Z um food item right like a cheeseburger it's so often that we're thinking to ourselves like don't eat cheeseburgers well you know um fast food you you know cheeseburger maybe yes that maybe that applies or like hey if you got to eat and you're starving you know fine but if if you can make a cheeseburger from you know scratch all the ingredients like i know elizabeth makes like sourdough buns yep it's a health food and yeah. then we're, you know, maybe we pull out a pack of venison from this past, you know, hunting season. And and or some of the, the, the cow that we've, you know, purchased. purchased yeah. Or, you know, and then we got fresh vegetables. And, oh, my gosh, I'll eat that food. I feel like this is a very complete meal. I start thinking about it like, wow, cheeseburgers probably were invented because they're awesome for you.
0: Animal protein and carbohydrate right there. All in one. I just, yeah.
2: you know, or pizza. It, 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 there's just, there's ways... Oh. That, that we can eat food that is. I
0: love my pizza.
2: Like you know, ice cream. You're saying like, oh man, ice cream. And you're you are almost kind of taken on the chin. Like I sometimes I, you know, sometimes I splurge. I eat ice cream. Like when we make ice cream here from you know from scratch, which is
0: Milk, quite frankly cream, not maple. very
2: often. I wish it was more often. But anyways,
0: we don't have an ice cream. It's
2: maker.
3: awesome. Yours? And
0: Milk, it's cream. Maple yeah, syrup, honey, vanilla. vanilla. You yeah. are
3: you are so right. I apologize for taking that on the chin because this is one of like the most frustrating topics in my life because when somebody approaches me and is like, "Can you have that?" or is like, mm. "That's mm. or like, is that not part of your diet?" and I'm like, "Whoa, whoa!" <laughs> First off, I'm not on a diet, and second, you can make mm. anything, anything. Like like you said, a cheeseburger is literally a complete meal and a pizza with the cheese is the protein on the sourdough is the carb and the tomatoes. It's like, that is literally such a healthy item so you yeah. can have in your diet. We have made it unhealthy over time mm-hmm. by use of like corporate and horrible ingredients. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah just say it. Just yeah. yeah. I, and so it's just like, that's so true is like, what can you not eat? Really? I mean, that's the better question. food, <laughs> food
2: education I mean? is food freedom and food freedom yes. looks like, Oh, I can't eat that yep uh, the, you know, I can't eat that. I
0: just need to make it maybe from scratch oh. or use better ingredients or source yeah. it a different way. Um, literally yes. it's that simple so yeah.
2: so anyway so we're we're we're're we're, we're all getting after food freedom and we're we're looking at you know food education um, I know that for Elizabeth and myself, that has looked like also wanting to increase our own kind of physical mental energy capacity yeah which can we is, talk
0: about working we, i know we're we going working long. out now we're working yeah, right we're working can we out. talk about working out Let's for talk just about like a minute. Minute. i what, what, it, really want to learn uh, yeah <laughs> what, so you
2: guys you guys been working out lifting for a long time
0: strong sisters and and this does uh,
2: that worked out right armstrong strong sister i mean it's just it's awesome perfect I mean, last name for you it's like being last name plumber and your plumber, it's awesome. <laughs> your Anyways,
0: occupation fits your. Okay. Um,
2: you guys got into working out, lifting. Um, you guys have some gym stuff at your, at your farm. I actually saw a few, yeah, uh, maybe stories or posts where you're like lifting like barbells off, off of, buckets. of buckets, and I'm like, this is just so savage. I, I loved it. Scrappy. Anyways, um, what what is your guys' workout routines looking like these days? I, um, and then and then I kind of want to get into some of the, the, um, some of the foods we can be eating to support lifting uh, well, but let's start out with lifting
1: before she goes into like what we're doing now i think to provide like a little bit of context um we've both done a few powerlifting competitions which wow have been really fun and like really empowering and like again like she said earlier it's like you versus you so it's been a nice way to like progress and set like a goal um and then sarah actually did a bikini competition Back in 2019 or... We didn't need to bring Something up. like that. Yeah. So we've done... <laughs> but no, we've... I, I just wanted to say we've done, like, all sides of, like, the fitness spectrum. Um, and we have a...
3: Oh, we've made so many mistakes, too. Yeah. But I think, like, what... In terms of working out... Uh, where do you even begin? I mean, strength training, obviously, you guys understand the importance if you're getting into it, too. And just the power that having more muscle is because it is, it improves your metabolism. But you also have to recognize that having more muscle is a responsibility. And that's where the nutrition comes in because you simply provide more, you, you require more nutrients, right? So it's, it's not simply just like go to the gym or just eat a healthy diet. It's really is a combination of both. And so Mm -hmm. finding that balance has been very enlightening for us because it's very easy to overdo one end. And overlook the other. And so we Mm -hmm. did that for many years. For example, not having our periods, but really focusing on working out more. So it's a very delicate balance. And especially when you're looking at it from the lens of taking care of your metabolism and your thyroid. Because you can't get around the fact that working out is a stress. And so you have all these different stresses in your life. And you're going to work and then you go to the gym right after. And if you didn't take a second to like fuel yourself or relax or do something for yourself working out as a stress. So you just added another Mm. stress. So coming at it and being aware of that to know where to fit it into your life and how many days a week that looks like for you right now in the stage of your life is very important. First step, like can you actually make it to the gym five days a week? No, that's totally fine. Like one or two or three is totally fine. So I always like to tell people like how many days is it reasonable to fit in and then what therefore you can kind of form a routine around there to get the biggest bang for your buck in terms of like how many body parts you need to hit that day or Mm -hmm. how many different exercises to perform in that day. And so I like to keep it really simple. And I think you had mentioned this too, is you guys were doing those three main lifts. So like trying to focus your workout around if your mobility allows squatting, deadlifting and bench pressing or any variation of those, because those are going to be, you know, very foundational movements that if you continuously increase your strength on you are going to make progress and then going beyond that you can kind of pick and choose accessories related to different body parts and this is so much it's so much fun forming your routine but you can kind of be like oh I I really need to you know increase strength in my legs so let's add some more leg accessories like lunges um, or Russian Romanian deadlifts and a lot of things don't actually require a whole lot of equipment which Ashley's gotten super crafty with at the farm and putting together this farm gym for us. So kind of understanding like what your limitations are, how many days you can commit because you don't want to overcommit and you don't want to overstress Mm. yourself out and then forming something you can stick to and have fun with and enjoy because you never have to do an exercise you don't like. And I think that a lot of us maybe grew up hating gym class or hating this or that. Mm. And so therefore we just completely disassociate from it. We're like, that's not for me. But Mm -hmm. the reality is, is there's so many different ways that your fitness can look. And I think that's so fun. I love that. Yeah. Coming at it from that approach where you can really customize it exactly like what is going to fit your schedule and your needs and your interests. And then just being consistent is literally the key. So I think one of the biggest lessons
1: that I have personally learned along my fitness journey um, in the healthiest way to approach exercise is you aren't exercising to burn calories because if you want to do that mm. go to a spin class or an orange theory class and you will burn a ton of calories, but you are stressing your system out and you aren't effectively burning muscle. Like that's an ineffective, ineffective way of actually burning muscle, building Building muscle. Um, sorry. Yeah. So instead shape your mindset as to I'm an athlete and I'm going to perform today. I'm going to mm. show up and I'm going to do the best I can at these lifts how can I increase my strength? Oh, that requires rest periods. Oh, that requires not doing like way too much in a certain period of time. Oh, that requires fueling myself. And so I think when you have that mindset of I'm going to perform and progress in the gym versus I'm going to go balls to the wall, burn as many calories and sweat as I can. When you change your mindset on that, you can see real progression, muscle growth, and exercise in a way that actually supports health and supports your metabolism Mm -hmm. rather than overly stressing yourself out and actually losing muscle over time by doing a ton of high intensity exercise that just adds to the stress burden yeah because the reality is
0: oh no keep going I I just have a question because I'm Mm -hmm. always confused in between my reps Mm -hmm. I'm like do I rest or do I keep my heart rate up nope rest oh okay rest So, I think like she was saying look at it as like how can you
3: make so putting on more muscle itself is going to you're you're gonna burn more calories outside of the gym. And so like she said, your goal during the workout should not necessarily be like let's burn as many calories, to keep my heart rate up. It should I mean there's a lot of different viewpoints on this, but
1: putting I'm, I'm on, a stickler on this. Putting on
3: muscle is going to be the most beneficial thing metabolically to see the most body recomposition. So okay. if you have more muscle, which the best way to get there is to focus on progressive overload. So in, increasing your strength or increasing the amount of reps you, you perform per the same weight each week. Consistency, right? Tracking this. So be consistent. Do the same exercises. Increase your weight or increase the amount of reps or sets performed. Don't worry about the amount of calories you're burning or, you know... That will take care of the, itself. Uh, like your heart rate during the workout. Because that that's very like... Simple, like not any fault to you because I had the same, like P90X, that is P90X, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, that is not going to necessarily give you the best chance at putting on muscle, which putting on muscle is what's going to give you the best chance at reaching that, you know, my body's recomping or I'm, you know, I'm feeling really good about myself now suddenly. So it's having that long-term mindset on it, which applies to our health too. It applies to farming. It's like what makes the most sense to do in the session so next week I can progress and then I can progress again in the following week. And then that's like she said, that's where the magic happens. Like you're going to look back and be like, whoa, I put on so much muscle and your bodies might weigh the exact same. You might weigh more, but it's going to look different.
0: Mm-hmm. So I think
3: it's
1: important to, what, what grows muscle and that is providing a larger load to that muscle over time. So like let's say week one, you do three by 10 at hundred pounds. Week four, you do three by 10 at 130 pounds. In order to do that, your body had to adapt and grow muscle to allow you, your body to produce more work. And what will help you progress for each session? Is it squatting and jump roping in between each set and stressing your body out? Or is it squatting and taking a rest and being able to do better the next set? Um, and so I think it, when you have the mindset of, I'm going to progress and view yourself as an athlete I think that that's like a cool mindset to have and you can it's really cool to see like over a six-week block how much progress you can make
3: I think like that there's the most because you can't overlook the cardio aspect of it and I think there's the most scientific evidence that being active throughout the day and taking walks Mm -hmm. so increasing your NEAT your non-exercise activity activity, thermogenesis. thermogenesis so, for example, like, you don't have to, like, be really hyper-fixated on this, but, like, oh, I'm going to hit 10,000 steps a day. You know, if you're just being more active, that overall is going to do so much more than, you know, keeping your heart rate up for one session. Does that make sense? So it's That like, does.
0: Yeah. Um, so, here's my other question. Mm-hmm. This is what I've been doing. Sorry, I'm, like, using these as my personal no, trainers I, right now. Th- we really like this stuff. I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. I have been first of all, I've been doing a bad job being consistent. I kind of just like work whatever muscles feel best. Like, Oh, I'm going to hit abs, arms, and legs, but I don't do consistently the same thing. Cause like if the squat bar isn't set up, I'm kind of too lazy and like, cause Joey and I typically work out together, but we've been on mismatch schedule. So I kind of rely on him to set up our equipment. But anyways, long story short, I've been doing 20 minutes, um, strength training and like 20 minute walk. I ran for a long time, never burned any fat or gained any muscle from that and I was running for like three times a week for months and not a single ounce of body composition in any positive way and so cardio wasn't it for me but what about the times where I'm like, man, I just really want to go for a quick run? Is there a, is there a threshold to where like, hey, I, I'm not going to run for 45 minutes like many people do. I'm, I'll just run for 15. Is there a time where I'm like, I like that endorphin release. I like that um, time where I'm getting my heart rate up, but then I'll rest appropriately. Or is it like a I have to say goodbye to that forever type of deal? So
1: I think it's important to just have separate camps for both of these. So there's strength training and then there's cardio And in my opinion, they should be separated because you use different systems in the body for both of those. So for strength training, it relies a lot on muscle glycogen, which is stored uh, glucose in your muscle cells. And then the best type of cardio, uh, you burn fat for fuel. Um, And so maybe keeping
3: those separate would be a good idea. If you... So, okay, I think what you're saying, like, you really wanted to go for the run for the endorphins, so that's, at a certain point, that's, like, a mental thing,
0: and Mm -hmm. I think that,
3: yeah, yeah, if you needed that, then you needed that, and you do it. If you, if it's more for, like, how can I get the most bang for my buck from the cardio, I would look into, like, zone training, so there's this zone two, which basically is, like she said, that's where you're burning fat, and so you keep your heart rate in this specific range, so for me, it would be about 130 to 150 beats per minute, and so, a really like stress-free way to do this because okay you're already putting stress on your limbs and your body when you're weightlifting so we don't want to continuously put more by you know running or again if you need to for your mental health you do it but okay to kind of get those same benefits though if you have like a cycle bike or something you can easily just maintain a heart rate for like 20 minutes and you just accomplished a lot. Like there are so many benefits to zone two training for body recomposition and fat loss without stressing out your system. So I think a really like, if somebody was going to be like, what, like what, through all the, no- the noise in the fitness world, what should I really focus on is like lifting to build muscle, walking regularly throughout the day. If you can walk around your meals, that's great. Getting, you know, some sunlight and stuff. And then. If you're at that point where you're like, all right, it's time to focus on some cardio. I want to really you know, maybe lose some fat or whatever, which putting on muscle is going to help that. But zone two cardio is like, we're all about evidence-based scientific stuff. That is the most backed thing. And there's a difference
1: between zone two cardio versus like when you see people in like a hit session. That is a place where you, your heart rate is so high. You can't hold a conversation. You are gasping for breath. Your mouth breathing. Zone two, a really easy way to know if you're in that zone is you can still hold a conversation, but it's kind of hard. So you're getting to that point. And that is the place where you're still using fat for fuel. You can accomplish that by running too.
0: Yeah, a, a low pace running. How do you feel about a rowing machine? I think that you can do zone two on
3: rowing. I think that's great. Because
0: mm-hmm. yeah. we're we're looking into we purchasing were considering a, rowing a rowing, rowing machine, machine. <laughs> for that cardio because yeah, I don't think like I mean, we have like a one street wonder. It's running on it. It's mm-hmm. not like most enjoyable thing, but this is giving me inspiration to make yeah. that like
3: purchase. The, so one thing that might, if you just get like a roaring machine, some people might be like, all right, well, I don't know if I'm going hard enough. I don't know if I did long enough. So that's where heart rate zone training becomes really handy because you you have this defined thing you know you were in zone two you know you were using these different systems you were burning fat for those 20 minutes you were in the right heart weight you weren't pushing too hard where you're just really stressing yourself out and you weren't just like lollygagging so i'm all about having those like I know what I'm doing, you know, like having that. So it just gets rid of the, the, the,
0: it's a control at some point. Like it offers a control to, Mm -hmm. to weigh your, yourself against. I think when you did the rowing machine at your hotel, you like went for four minutes and were dying. Maybe that was more of like that hit workout version Mm -hmm. versus zone two would have been, you could have done it for 15 minutes, just less weight or less resistance Uh, or something. Well, it's,
2: it's always, it's very similar resistance and weight. I think it's more or less just the, uh, rhythm pace, that you're in, okay. yeah, The pace mm-hmm. that you're going on the for rowing,
0: machine, rowing so. yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, so, this that answers like so, ninety five of my questions. Ninety five percent of my questions. So thank we're, you.
2: We're we're in the gym and we're ripping steel, and then we, we go upstairs and we're we or we go upstairs for us. We go to uh, refuel ourselves. So post workout refuel. You know what are you guys getting after food wise?
1: So protein is obviously very important. Um, I think like trying to hit the I don't, I'm not going to go in depth in this, the leucine threshold. So you can easily hit that by just shooting for like 30 grams of animal protein. Um, and so make sure you get your protein, but after a workout you need to replenish your glycogen stores. Uh, you just burn through a lot of those in the workout. And the best way to do that is with a carb source that includes both fructose and glucose. So having both of those different types of carbs allows you to saturate those pathways and refill your glycogen stores better. Um, And you don't want a ton of fat at that meal because that can really slow digestion. And the goal Mm -hmm. is to give your body that fuel to recover right away. And so some examples would be like white rice, fruit, and some sort of meat to hit your protein intake. Um, And so you have the white rice, which is the glucose source, and then you have the fruit, which is the, sucrose source so you're kind of saturating the different glycogen pathways and allowing
3: yourself the best possible chance to recover um just doing something like like chocolate milk like milk with you know cacao powder and a a banana blended in or something with honey or and i think that this a similar concept applies to pre-workout nutrition as well is like You want to focus on the carb and the protein more so. And then some people can even, if they're having longer training sessions, utilize the carbs, so like orange juice and salt. And that can really help with people with thyroid issues or that are really stressed is to kind of blunt that stress response by providing a little bit more fuel during the workout. So I do this now. Mm -hmm. And this is coming from two people who tried to tell themselves for like three years that they can lift fasted and they can lift zero carb. Okay, wasn't three? And seeing seeing muscle just atrophy and seeing performance Mm -hmm. go down so like we tried it and i know it's it's the sexy thing to be like i can do it faster i just fasted 24 hours and lifted weights and i know people might have success (laughs) however if we're if we're taking a step back and we're really looking at it from a metabolic standpoint working out is already stress you Mm -hmm. want to build the muscle like how can you do that with the least amount of like negative consequences down the line on your thyroid and your metabolism. Yeah. Yeah. We we lost it. We lost
1: muscle doing fasted training.
2: So right now I, I I'll get done with a session. Right. And I'll, I will, I will be um, ready for, you know, protein or right. And and I I was a college athlete. Um, I would, I would finish um, two days and then we do lifting. I mean, it was like, uh, you know, back when I was in college playing soccer, it was, you know, get up early in the morning. You're at you're at the you're at the track by six to run until you puke, and then it was it was um, you know go to class and get back from class and two and a half hour soccer practice for your focusing on skills again a lot of cardio and then we would lift for forty five minutes before wow. I went home and crashed right so that was that was like my college career and and I can guarantee you as far as like the like what we're talking about now. Um, I wasn't the most healthy person, but I was. I, I looked and appeared to be in impeccable shape, right? I, I mean, it was like I, I was. I must have been so calorically deficient; it was unbelievable. But the um, that being said, nowadays, right? I'm. I, I. I. Or back then, sorry. It was a powder protein mix that would be like a quick kicker to, to, to kind of uh, supplement some of that protein after a lifting or or, or or a two day or anything like that. But, um, nowadays I'm using, I
0: converted him to a raw milk protein shake
2: with so raw
0: banana maple syrup. So I guess that would be our, sucrose. yeah. yeah um, that's great. we do add a, a, powdered collagen right now cause I can't figure out an extra source of animal protein that wouldn't be like throwing
2: chunks of cooked meat into, yeah. the, into the smoothie. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so it's not my favorite it... ingredient, but that's what's in there right now. And no, then, I think like, that's great. Some vanilla and it's delicious.
2: It tastes great. And I'm just curious, any any additives you guys might put into that drink? If you were going to make the optimal protein shake, what would you put in it?
3: I mean, that's a really good start. I think if you're looking for a quick digesting protein after a workout and you're not wanting to like blend in a steak, you know, (laughs) um, (laughs) there is, I really like Mount Capra. It's just plain goat whey protein. Mm -hmm mom crap is a great brand and they've also used to
0: buy their formula
3: yeah yes they do have formula and they've got different you know proteins but they just have a plain whey. Whey in itself is inflammatory so that's where having the collagen added in you've covered that and i mean honestly that sounds like a great shake yeah there's a reason there's a
1: reason why many
3: bodybuilders still use
1: whey protein like if you're looking for physique enhancement and gym performance like the bodybuilding community has figured a lot out and whey protein is useful after workout i don't think it's needed any other time of the day
3: because it's a very quick like a straight concentrated powder you really shouldn't be relying on yeah there's going to be whey protein and things though
0: we have access to (sighs) raw whey in its liquid form it's like a yellow liquid from our farm why don't i just buy that and throw that in that is so cool does it taste funky that is way smarter. I don't know why I didn't think about um way. It's it's probably got like a yogurty oh flavor yeah, okay. to it. But yeah, yeah but I'll just you start said buying. It was yellow yeah, liquid it's just yellow liquid. If I was, like, sounds... if I was being
3: like extra bougie, I would add that, and then I would also add like colostrum, raw colostrum, yes. just to like just emphasize nutrients. <laughs> Um, be the bougiest protein And it shake. could I be, like, that.
1: a $20 shake. <laughs> Honestly, I think that's pretty perfect because banana has a little <laughs> bit of starch in it, too. And yeah. so you're kind of covering all bases there. Yeah. Okay. And you're also adding in, like, calcium, which I think is a super important part as well. So that's a great that, – yeah. I love
0: it. Right on. But, yeah. If I ditch the – if I start doing the liquid way, can I ditch the powdered collagen? Or should I keep doing that? I would
3: – I mean –
1: it's I so would keep the collagen. I would
3: keep it, keep but also breath. if you're having, like, a meal later with bone broth, uh, you're probably fine. It's just, okay. in itself, like, just having, especially a concentrated source of whey, just like powder, is going to be more inflammatory without the other amino acids to, like, kind of make it a complete. Because you got to think about it. It is a very isolated part. you Not like you're taking other things away from it. And so right. putting the collagen in, you know, a good brand would be, I would do it. Cool.
2: Right on. I, hey, this has been so so awesome. I, I am. I, I secretly, when I found out we were going to talk to Sarah and Ashley, and I, I realized that they definitely know more about working out than I was. <laughs> I basically was just like, "Let's just." I need to ask them about the shake, and that was the okay. shake. Um, uh, I, I, wanna, I want to. I want to. I want to promote you guys. I want to, as we wrap this thing up here, been going for about two and a half hours now. Congrats! This is our longest longest episode (laughs) so far, and uh, it's it's not because of anything other than the fact that uh, this has just been so dang enjoyable. Yeah. But uh, we definitely want to we definitely want to promote all the stuff that you guys have going on, and so what what are some ways that that anybody listening to this can get in touch with you all?
1: So we've been working on our biggest project yet. In addition to the farm, the farm in itself is uh, a huge project, but our biggest Strong Sisters project, we're wrapping up right now. We are creating a guide and providing resources for kind of everything that we've learned through our crazy journey. Um, And so check out our website, armstrongsisters.com. That should be released within a month, two months max. Mm -hmm. So we are kind of spending all of our free time on that right now besides and our, looking for camels
3: yeah
0: <laughs> the important <laughs> thing that's
2: work that's 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 in the office so we're yeah. going to we're going to armstrong sisters or sisters
3: it's very it's very formal it's armstrong <laughs> sisters for the website okay okay <laughs> we'll link it we'll link it in the show, we'll note. link it in the show
2: notes but armstrongsisters.com get yourself that guide Well,
1: it's not there yet, but sign up for the newsletter. It it encompasses
3: like everything in terms of environmental lifestyle and nutrition. So it's trying to be very holistic. And then we're most active on Instagram. And those are both of our personal and our strong account or our, sorry, our farm account.
2: And those are at strong.sistas and at angel underscore underscore. There's two of them. Acres.
1: Correct. Uh That's it.
2: Go find them on Instagram, hit them up. Uh, they've also got a YouTube channel, which is Strong Sistas mm-hmm. for YouTube. Yep. And uh, go find them on there. They have awesome videos of ripping up a plant that I can't remember the name of. Um, Sorghum. 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 Yeah, man, what a what a name. I, that, that was. I remember you guys saying that. Um, any, anything else? Uh, we just, we're just so thankful to have you guys on today. It was it was so enjoyable. Anything else before before we uh, before we head out?
3: I just think it's an honor to have Cooper in your coloring book. <gasps> yes. I'm, so, I'm excited. so excited. Ashley told me that and I was like, oh my gosh, like he's famous.
0: Okay. <laughs> he's so famous. He's going to get even more famous. When I DM y'all on Strong Sister Strong Sisters, who am I talking to? Are, is, are you guys both on there? It like really depends. It, to, for your conversation, it's been Ashley.
3: Yeah, yeah. But okay. like
0: it varies by person and yeah, a lot of people – have that consumer. i'm just gonna ask is this sarah or there you go, go. yes yeah yeah okay <laughs> not that it matters because i enjoy talking to both of you but <laughs> um yeah cooper is going to be in that coloring book i actually need to pick the winner for that today uh we'll work on that um but it's going to be awesome i'm hoping that thing just uh, like who needs another unicorn coloring book nobody but people need to color a picture of cooper it's gonna be so cute
2: <laughs> right on sarah and ashley thank you guys so much for for joining us today And um, we're we're looking forward to our next time chatting with you all. Yeah,
0: this has been awesome. Thank you, guys. We're looking forward to the homeschool trip to the farm. Oh, my gosh. Let's just get on the books. (laughs) I can't wait. It would be awesome. Do you have a place for us to stay? No, just kidding. No, we We do. do. (laughs) We do. We do. Sweet. Sweet. We're going to wrap up the uh, – This portion
2: of the podcast. We'll we'll do our outro. But thank you so much, and we will be talking to you guys soon.
0: All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye, guys. See ya.
2: All right. With that, Sarah and Ashley have left the virtual building, (laughs) the chat, the chat. And um, man, what a, what a, what a good time talking with them. I, I I mean, I wrote down a number, a a ton of notes here just because I feel like my workout rhythm and my nourishment post-workout will will never look the same. Mm-hmm. I love, I, I love I talking to them. What are some of the things talking with them that really stood out to you aside, you know, from the camel, of course,
0: the camel is number one. Um, you know, I really like that. We kind of got into this conversation about different diets and, you know, I, I did want to bring up the fact that there's a fantastic podcast episode on the freely rooted podcast. I'll link it in the show notes per usual, but it's all about breaking down popular diets. And it's uh, it basically talks about exactly what they mentioned. But when Mm -hmm. yeah, when we started fasting, um, we felt amazing. And there's a period of time where you you might transition into a vegan diet, into a plant based diet, into a carnivore diet, into a keto. You name it intermittent fasting all of those pieces but let's talk about longevity let's mm. talk about not just suppression of symptoms yeah. but curing and healing and i think that that's the biggest piece we learned from their story is that they are on this healing journey and they've hit little blips of hey we cured that or we we suppressed this symptom or we suppressed this but now they're finally in a place where they've sort of reached equilibrium in their approach and they are now pursuing healing Mm. and it's not just the suppression of symptoms but um i think that's beautiful i think that's a a really inspiring story and i i really like that they sort of come full circle and gosh you want to talk about Mm. people who have come up against challenge and obstacle Hmm. you know i kind of wanted to ask them in that like how did you guys not give up
2: i i i mean the the mold situation is not to be taken lightly i mean we've been there in a i think probably a more minor way oh yeah nothing compared to that Uh, and you know to to be taking the risk that they did uh which is 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 in itself inspiring just to see somebody take a risk like hey let's go get a farm right insanity but to, to in then, the best way. Yeah. Yeah. But to be met with a challenge, um, like our house has mold and we have to now remediate it and we're moving in and out and, and, you know, the soil needs all this care. Um, it's, it's a long game. It's, it's investment and, um, it's, it's a big deal. And you know, we have a lot to learn, uh, from, from Sarah and Ashley. So, so, so excited to have had them on today and, and, um, Look forward. I'm, I'm sure we'll get them on here again in the oh future. Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah. I've, I've, about halfway through the interview, I was like, we just need to have them back again because I still have so much I want to chat through. And as that's a beautiful thing, too, is as they continue to farm and learn more and they're so generous with sharing their vulnerability and their uh, learnings they'll just continue to be a source of incredible content for the world because they're going to share that. And so, yeah, as, as they continue on, as we go visit their farm, as we go hang out with them, I like, can't wait to have them back.
2: Right on. Well, to, to wrap up this, this really short podcast, <laughs> um, Hey, you know, talking, talking to the audience now, I mean, I guess we are always are, but, um, if, if you like this, if you, if you're, if you're gaining, uh, wisdom and, and inspiration from from these episodes, and, and you're in the game towards you know working towards food freedom. Uh, we believe that that comes from education. We believe we believe you have to invest in your food education to attain that food freedom. And um, you know you know Sarah and Ashley are exceptional examples of that. Some of the ways you can support. Um, or support yourself is by continuing to listen to this podcast. Uh, that does two things actually, right? Supports us and it also supports you. So keep keep getting after that, keep listening to the podcast. We also have some awesome resources on on our site for for you to keep educating yourself. And you can find those those books, those resources on homegrowneducation.org. Those resources look like children's curriculum, they look like food Um,
0: Real Food Guide Real
2: Food Guide Um, and they also look like a soon-to-be coloring book Mm -hmm. that supports and highlights farms similar to so, well, it does. It does include Sarah yeah. Ashley's farm. Angel
0: Acres is in there. Is is in
2: the book, and so.
0: And I uh, specifically chose farms, ranches, and growing spaces who are raising food with integrity. So this is sort of like my hand selected uh, group of people who I'm like, you know what, I want to honor you. I think kids can learn through their media. I think we can make media a purposeful thing again, instead of just a purely entertainment thing. Um, nothing against my little pony, but my goodness, if I can infuse some real life examples of people who are raising food the right way, I'm going to do that.
2: Yeah. And it's, it's, it's all, it's all about starting kids off in a way, I know when we were talking to to Sarah and Ashley, they were saying, "Yeah, growing up, we we just didn't learn how to to cook." And and they weren't they were not bashing their parents. They were saying, "Hey, they worked their butts off." They're and I think if anything, there's definitely a lot of things they learned from their parents because they worked so hard. Mm-hmm. And and I want to highlight that. I want to say, "Hey, Sarah and Ashley's parents, because you guys you know buckled up you know buckled down and and got after it, working on opening restaurants, being entrepreneurial, opening up you know farms that you know rescued animals." Th- that that in itself inspired um in a, in a way not only me now but also Sarah and Ashley to to also pursue an endeavor that that is uh, that is pretty impactful so pr- pretty awesome stuff right there in addition it's just a, a great example of how conditioning our children um, how how powerful that can be mm-hmm. so everything from coloring books that talk about real farming to curriculum that we that we walk them through on how you know, macronutrients affect us, and how important they are um, to you know cooking with them. Get in the kitchen with your kids. Give them give them the knife that that you're scared they might hurt themselves with. Yeah, be careful. But that, you know, giving some kids a little bit of responsibility is is very good for them. Mm-hmm. It's very good for kids to to feel like they're progressing. Mm-hmm. And um, we also have we also have a book. We have a resource on the the homegrown website that is. That is for for dinners. It's called what's for dinner. It is it is a tension that that lies with with every <laughs> every family, and uh, the question goes every day. I mean, I'm even thinking about it right now. Yeah, it's yeah five honest. o'clock right now. What's for dinner? What's for dinner? And uh, we we put together. a well, you, you tell us, what, what, what do we put together and what's for dinner?
0: Yeah, uh, it's six weeks, so 42 nightly meals, and it's basically just like, um, it's like a cookbook slash meal plan slash shopping list, all built in one for you. And so it says, this is what we are going to eat tonight. This is the cooking instructions for that. Really simple dishes, typically, mm. veggie, um, protein, starch. Sometimes there's a simple soup we're throwing in there, but it incorporates some of the natural family rhythms that have worked really well in our house. Mm. Um, like using a whole chicken once a week and then we can convert that to broth and then we can involve stock in our in our meals for the nourishment and also just because we're making rice and soups and yeah. things on a regular basis. And so um, I found it that when I am following the What's For Dinner meal plan, uh, my life just... It takes a mental burden off of it and it just runs smoother.
2: I was thinking about this recently about what's for dinner. And I think there's something even more powerful about what's for dinner than just the practicality of here's your shopping list and here's your meals. And there's this idea of creating routine or habits that mm-hmm. are good. And when you work through something that is six weeks long, that that, that is sort of convenient, Right. You start to develop habits, mm-hmm. and there's there's if you're working out every day for a month, guess what? You've created a habit or a rhythm of working out. If you start cooking meals from scratch, cooking dinners from scratch, shopping, you know, utilizing food from one meal to the next, cooking whole whole birds and utilizing the bones and the, the scraps for stock and using that stock for your rice, you're creating you're creating habits. But it takes it takes a little bit of time, takes a little bit of investment. So um, I don't know. I, I, I was thinking about that recently. I think, I, I think what's for dinner is that, that, that resource can actually be more impactful than just, Hey, I've got dinners covered for six weeks.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, you can go on and on Pinterest or open up any cookbook and find a recipe. Yeah. There's more to it. Yeah. It's, it's the planning ahead. It's the rhythm. It's the mindset of how am I utilizing my family kitchen to nourish my family and also not spend a thousand dollars a dinner, you know? So
2: right on. If you want to hear more of my ramblings about the impact of what's for dinner.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't talk about it on his Instagram, so don't worry.
2: Um, But you can find me on Instagram. I'm there. uh, As we talked about earlier, I've been there for about four months. So where have you been? Right. (laughs) Um, We're learning. So give me some grace. I will get better at Instagram as we as we as we progress. Um, I'm at Joey Hazelmeyer. And if you want to learn more from Elizabeth, who really does know things about Instagram and food and nutrition, and, and, um, you can find her at homegrown underscore education. And again, just to kind of reiterate some of the stuff of, uh, some of the, some of the ways to find Sarah and Ashley, uh, just in case you didn't catch it when I, I spouted it off before you can find them on Instagram at strong.sistas. You can find them at angel underscore underscore. That's two underscores and angel underscore underscore acres uh find their farm on instagram you can find their their website armstrongsisters.com and then you can find their youtube channel strong sisters mm-hmm. on youtube uh go go show them go show them some love go show them some support they're the bomb and uh yeah i, I honestly am thinking about when's the next time we're bringing it yep. back on so Me too. anyways until next time that's a wrap
0: until next time